you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios. Yes, television studios, can you believe it? Right here in located beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, the place to be. We also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, BTR, and, of course, live on YouTube, as you can see right there on uh, right there. See, look, right there. You can see it. Yeah. Don't forget, folks. We, we've got two different, two separate websites, uh, and others coming. Interestingly, but uh, HagmanandHagman.com is our show website. HagmanReport.com. That's for news, show prep, information analysis, and what have you. Bookmark both. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigator Joe Hagman. Together, we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. Of course, he's my son. So, uh, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Eric's back in the office, as you can tell. Thank you. Eric is, Eric's walking around. He's got an IV. He's carrying an IV bag and, uh, <laughs> uh, he's catheterized and he's got the gown with the open back. So, yeah, he's got malaria or something. I don't know. Lyme disease. No, I shouldn't. No, I'm not. Uh, no, seriously. He's back. Uh, he's stuffed up, uh, otherwise okay, but he's relatively, you know, he's still sick. You know, you know how, you know how that stuff hangs on, that gunky stuff hangs on. Of course, Sometimes uh, for weeks. children, right? Children uh, gave him that. So we expect it to go around. <laughs> Excuse me, the office here. Uh, I got, I got a great show for you planned tonight. And, uh, don't forget, next Monday, Steve Quayle is going to be on, uh, some very important shows next Monday and Wednesday. We're, we're doing kind of a back-to-back deal next week. Uh, Monday and Wednesday, Steve Quayle is going to be with us. Uh, I kind of twisted his arm in a way to get us, or to get him to do a couple of shows. Now he's going to be on Jim Baker, the Jim Baker show next week. Um, so concurrent with that, we're going to have him on along with some other people, including Tom Horn, perhaps Gary Haven, Chris Putnam, and just buckle up because it's going to be a tremendous show. I love it. So, um, and tonight we've got a great show with author Daniel Duvall. Uh, before we get to Daniel Duvall and, and as we're going through 
I was looking at my date book today. Yeah, I still carry one of those. It's better than all this electronic stuff because at least, you know, my delete button is an eraser. My, my cursor and my keyboard is a pencil or a pen. And, um, I, I don't know. And I'm just looking here. Just here it is a Thursday, right? So you got the Thursday, the rest of today, depending on where you're at in the world. In some places it's Friday where you're listening. But here in the West, Mother's Day is Sunday. So you've got, uh, Friday, Saturday, and then the big day, Mother's Day. And why do, why, you know, why is this so important? Well, moms are, are special. Moms are extremely special. They, uh, I, I don't know. If, if, if you, if you lost your mom, I, I can relate. If you lost your mom in early age, I can relate. If you have your mom, then celebrate your mother. Mothers are very special. And that goes for the mother of your children too. Grandmothers as well. Here's what you, guys, here's, here's what we can do. Proflowers.com. Remember that. Proflowers.com. In fact, today, they got a, they got a fantastic deal. Go to proflowers.com and then click on the microphone box on the right-hand side there. Enter our code Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, Hagman. Proflowers.com, microphone code Hagman. And they will, there you can get, you can get mom a hundred blooms. A hundred blooms. Now think about that. A hundred individual flowers. Oh, they look like a lot too. With a free glass vase for $19.99 plus shipping and handling or make her day extra special. Add chocolates, gourmet chocolates, no less, and a premium glass vase for an extra nine ninety nine. Can't beat that. I that's what I did with my wife. Shh, don't tell her. Plus, I got her some extra goodies there at Pro Flowers because you you can get extra goodies there. Oh, it's a great site. ProFlowers dot com. Code word Hagman. All right. Um. So months. Hey, hey. No excuse, guys and ladies, and guys and ladies. No excuse. Even if your daughter is a mother. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Can your daughter be a mother? Of course your daughter can be a mother. In fact, people have called me a mother. But that's a whole different aspect of things. And they still do. It's all right. I can take it. Joe. we got a, a great show planned for you tonight. Our guest is Mr. Daniel Duvall. He is an author, conference speaker, licensed minister, and radio show host. He's also the founder and president of Bride Ministries. He's published four full-length books, including his two newest books, which we have uh, just gotten in the studios today. One is Kingdom Government. Uh, There it is, Kingdom Government, The Promise of Sheep Nations. And this latest book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm, Okay, forwarded by Josh Peck. I got a problem with this. How did you get these books before? He sent them to us. I I know, but but usually I see the mail first. You were uh, out of the office, and I was here early, which you didn't expect. And that's how I I got sleep in the guest room last night. (laughs) I did. No, but Daniel, uh, he has. Go to his website. You can uh, bookmark or visit his website, bridemovement.com, and his latest website, thefireplacechurch.org. His vision is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist the creation and development of sheet nations. Again, bridemovement.com and thefireplacechurch.org. Let me see this book here. Let me see this book, man. Daniel, it's great to have you back on the show. 
Doug, Joe, it is uh, always an honor and a privilege to be invited onto your platform. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, thanks for allowing us to invite you. In fact, thanks for being on. Uh, folks, Dan Duvall is a great guy. I, I've met him, talked with him in person. And, uh, yeah, we had the pleasure of doing that in yeah. Columbus, I yeah. believe, in 2014. Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think you've got a lot of good um, information, and it's, uh, um, I'm just amazed at what the information you, you really have in your books. Um, and I was kidding around with Joe because I did see Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations. I saw both books, but yeah, we have uh, that on PDF. Yes, uh, but the Higher Dimension <laughs> book—that that, that's an amazing. You know, get your hands up. Get, get. <laughs> Hang on, we, we were just wrestling over here. Right. All right. Um, okay. The uh, the the Higher Dimensions. This is a okay. I, here, I, I I'm getting yelled at by. And you know, on the printer, I got a. Uh, there's a sheet for you and me. Uh, pertaining to this book, which okay. if you want to get into this this first hour, we can. Um, uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. The The title of the show, Obedience, Faith, and the Kingdom of Heaven, uh, with Daniel Duvall. And Daniel uh, does a lot of deliverance work, for those of you who are unfamiliar. Um, Daniel, you want to give our listeners, especially our new listeners, a, a brief rundown of what it is you've been doing with oh, your ministry? Yes, please. It's really exciting, guys. Uh, God is really just breaking all of the <laughs> artificial barriers, boundary markers that I would have self-prescribed. I mean, this thing is, it's really expanding. You know, I set out, initially all I wanted to do was preach at a church. Basically the one thing I don't get to do. But I do get to do a lot of really cool things uh, with the with the ministry that God has assigned to me. And at this point, we have a lot of things going. It, 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 it's really kind of hard to keep up with myself sometimes. We, we've been running the Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall podcast. And on that podcast, we get into a lot of things that uh, we're, we're, we're almost pioneering discussions in. We, we, we really go very deep into the conversation on what mind control means, um, Satanic ritual abuse, what it has yielded, how far the devil has gone on certain agendas. Not that you guys don't do that on this program, because you do. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, it, it's just a conversation that needs to be had. And uh, we've been tracking this from, from the perspective of what do the survivors that get help and get their memories back really know. And in order to help survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control projects, we at Bride Ministries have branched off and we, we've created a community of what I call DID coaches. And we have been having people apply to our organization that, that need help and can't you know, afford or find any help. And we're actually underwriting the cost of their help with what our organization is able to raise. And so we have been creating solutions for survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control projects. And um, th that has really been expanding. And, and it's exciting to watch th literally the most broken people on the planet be healed by the power of the true Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are moving in that direction and seeking to expand solutions for, you know, a, a whole people group, guys, really, that the church has failed. 
just has not been able to help, hasn't been equipped to help in many cases. And um, God is giving us the tools to do it, and so we are. We've also branched off. We're doing discipleship courses, and the discipleship courses are eight-week classes, really, where on the Internet, over like a webinar-type setting where people can dialogue and have open discussion, we're going through subjects, uh, we have four classes, Grace, In Christ, the Kingdom, and Spiritual Warfare, and just recently, we've been able to branch off into a, a place where I'm not the only one teaching my discipleship classes because we have someone that's been through the discipleship classes also teaching discipleship classes for the ministry, and so that's been growing, and that created a great demand because people, you see, they, they, they're waking up, guys. People are waking up to the reality of what's going on in the world today. And what they want to do, they want to talk about it. They want to dialogue about it. They want also want to be equipped to deal with the problems that are coming on the face of the earth. And I, I think we'll be getting into some equipping-type conversation today with the subjects of obedience and the kingdom, all of these things. Um, realistically, you need supernatural power from a supernatural God to fight a supernatural enemy. And there are supernatural weapons called the weapons of our warfare that are necessary to do it. And so, you know, people want to be equipped. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to conversate. And people were getting so much out of the discipleship groups that we were doing, and every time it would end, everyone would be sad. And they'd say, well, what are we going to do now, Daniel? And so what we do is we took that paired with this vision to build an Internet ministry and put the two together, created thefireplacechurch.org, which is our latest uh, project. And this thing calls, I mean, we, we spent tens of thousands of dollars, which, praise the Lord, it actually came in. We raised the money in about a month and a half um, to pay cash, and it... It, uh, it essentially. That's always nice. Yeah. That's, that, that, praise God for that. I mean, seriously, we, you know, you're, that's a blessing when you know you're on the right track and you're, and you're given the means to, it's almost confirmation, I suppose, that, you, that you're doing the right thing, right? I look at it as confirmation. Yeah. God, God provided for us. He said, you know, you're going to do this and he gave me a deadline April 1st. Um, we actually beat it by one day. <laughs> we got it up March 31st with the first beta test. But, you know, now we're, we're running. We're cooking with gas and we're having weekly services at 7 p.m. where people, they are able to attend. They have worship. They have teaching. And afterwards, they get to click a button and jump into Internet-based moderated discussion groups to have face-to-face discussions with other people from around the world to talk about what they just learned. And um, it's really, as far as I know, a first of its kind. And so we built it at thefireplacechurch.org. Fantastic. You know, let me back up for a second here if I can ask you something. Because you mentioned victims of satanic ritual abuse, mm-hmm. disassociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. The And this strikes close to home with me. Now, this might sound like a shameless plug for my own book, which I released uh, last month, but it's it's really not. But it it it's kind of a confirmation of, of what you're doing and what your your work. Um, I had no idea. Just just briefly, I had no idea. I never heard really of satanic ritual abuse, or never really believed. For example, um, like the FBI back, even back pre. Well, around around the time of the Franklin uh, scandal and, and during that time period, they were very openly antagonistic toward anything that involved um, SRA victims. 
or satanic ritual abuse. They would not even acknowledge. In fact, even to this day, they don't acknowledge that satanic ritual abuse exists. It's always they always marginalize and minimize it to say that that's it, it's kind of a uh, it's either a JV kind of operation with teenage wannabe witches and warlocks, or it's the, um, these abuses are done, um, and, and what we see is a consequence of another act that appears, or, or, or the uh, satanic rituals are basically a, a product of, of that initial act. In other words, it's never about the satanic rituals. It's always about something different than that. It's never about the abductions. It's always about something different. It's never about mind control. It's ne- they refuse to even acknowledge that. And I found that out. My first encounter with this was in 1987. I do write about it in my book, okay? But I did not recognize it for what it was. Now, 30 years later, what is it, 30 years, I guess? Help me with the math, Joe. A bunch of years later. <laughs> I realize that this is even an even bigger problem today. Um. Let me go back real quick. I, I interviewed a, a young man who uh, I asked I asked him for evidence of his um, of, of his involvement in satanic ritual abuse. Him being a victim, he said you know, he was a victim. And I asked I, I asked for evidence because of the police. He was interviewed by the police. This is a, is a kind of a, a, a kind of a side note to, to my investigation of my uncle's murder, and he was a witness. And he said, yeah, you want evidence, I'll show you evidence. And he took off his shirt, and then he dropped his pants. Folks, I mean, you know, he was covered, but... And I looked, and I saw scars, cigarettes, cigarette burns, cigar burns, hot iron burns on his body. And he said, I got these from my my people at rape sessions, where guys would violate me with, with objects and with themselves and then burn me intentionally while doing this in front of objects of veneration to Satan and I, I, I it blew me away but it's real isn't it mm. I, I mean I, I, that's a long way of saying mm. I looked at this I did not know what I was seeing I had no clue that this even existed and when I did contact I mean, one thing I didn't put in the book, I contacted the the FBI, and my partner did as well, and they said, oh, it's that's just, it, it's all um, overhyped. If if you did see something like that, it was either either they did it to themselves or it was something different, you know, it, but it was all away from the topic of satanic ritual abuse. It was all away from the topic of what we're talking about tonight in your work. So, I, long way of asking. Mm-hmm. Are you finding number one? Are you finding more and more victims of mind control in this? All right, are you are, are you helping them? And if so, to what degree can you help them? Uh, I mean, just address it's, what I just said, if you don't mind. It, it's huge, and it, Doug and Joe. I mean, this is the thing because I am so openly vocal about this subject, and my program is so openly vocal about this issue. Uh, we get a lot of incoming on this issue. People write us all the time. And to put this thing in perspective, I I asked God. I, I just asked God. I, I, in prayer, I said one day, you know, God, I mean, what, what are the numbers looking like? 
And I've heard different estimates of people that say, well, there's this much uh, ritual abuse going on, there's that much. What I heard in that time of prayer in my spirit, what came up was this. Daniel, you could go city to city and fill stadiums with the number of people that have been targeted on different levels. And not all ritual abuse is done on the same level. If a person's going to have a body that bears the scars, that would actually be a, a lower level of it in my experience. Because the very high level stuff is done many times purposely to leave no evidence right. of what has been done. But the trauma, the trauma is nonetheless uh, effective. And, and this is why they do it. The, the thing is that the devil, the devil has agendas that he wants to work into the earth. And so in order for the devil to work agendas into the earth, he needs agreement. He, he really does need men to agree with what he wants to do. As I've gone into this subject and, and really understood at a very deep level what's happening, um, I, I've had to conclude that the devil and God really follow the same protocols. They find men to agree with their agenda. And then they enact their agenda through men. For instance, the Bible says... You know, God does nothing except he tells his servants to profit. So every time God wants to do something, he has somebody told what he's going to do. They declare it. They decree it. That's how we get all this, you know, prophetic knowledge out of the word of God. That's what's going to happen. It was spoken. It was decreed. And it was written. Therefore, it is. God found men to do it, to agree with his agenda from heaven. Even Jesus Christ is a reflection of this. He was God who had to come to earth as a man in order to agree with God's agenda from heaven to bring salvation to man. He had to do it as a man because if he didn't, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have qualified on this planet because the Bible says that the earth has been given to the children of men. And so uh, in order to backdoor his agendas in. What the devil does is he goes after people through ritual abuse, trauma, and, and th this works its way right into the government-sponsored mind control side of it, um, which is really dark stuff. And what, what they're essentially doing, though, this is the plot. When they create enough trauma to dissociate a person, what dissociate means is to split the consciousness into various fragments that can be walled off through amnesia. Um they can get parts of a person that don't know they are part of that person to agree with agendas that the rest of the person who's around on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't even know they agree with. So uh, let's say you have a three-year-old and you subject them to lots and lots of you know, satanic rituals, rape, abuse, trauma, and all that. And they, what, what happens is their heart gets broken the mind goes, it has to hide itself from the trauma that's happening. And over a period of time, uh, that child will create this other personality in the mind. And I mean, I could take some time and break this down from, from a biblical perspective and, and look at all of the you know wording in the Bible and how that makes this make sense. But um, essentially, the child is a protective mechanism. They go and hide somewhere in their mind. Eventually, they have to keep hiding that part of the mind. It begins to take on its own identity. Well, that identity can be trained to agree with Satan and the devil and his agendas while 
the rest of the person that uh, is not abused and traumatized and we would use the word programmed has no knowledge of what that part of them agrees with. So the devil essentially creates weapons platforms out of what we call uh, people that have been satanically ritually abused and traumatized and put through government-sponsored mind control. They're actually uh, possessing parts of themselves that agree with the devil so that the devil's agendas can advance in the earth and the people don't even know that they're actively agreeing with him many times because of the presence of things like amnesia walls and barriers. And so it, it's really, we, we've seen a pirating of the planet through the advancing of this agenda. It's like the devil's Christmas time. I mean, it's it, the, the proliferation of trauma um, for the purposes of programming, establishing people in uh, you know, government-sponsored mind control projects, tying them to things like secret space program, all these things. It, it's, it's a platform. It's a weapons platform to allow them to get their agendas into the earth through the agreement of men without having men having to fully agree with them. They can hide it all. And, uh, you know, Russ Dizdar talks about this in um, some of his work where he's talking about the rise of the satanic super soldiers because they are not the satanic super soldiers until they switch and the darker parts of them that have been traumatized, abused, and programmed come and take over the, the operations of the physical body. Well, um, that, that's what you call a hidden weapons platform. But those parts, they are always in agreement with satanic agendas. And so uh, th there's a huge push behind it because this is how the devil is really bringing in his end-time plans that you are trying to. He is hijacking and pirating agreement through people, which is why God is extremely interested in the ministry to survivors of satanic ritual abuse and uh, government-sponsored mind control projects because God wants the evil on the planet to be confronted and addressed. And it's not going to be if you have so many people harboring hidden agreements with agendas of the devil, having no knowledge of it. It's, it's like totally hacking the system. It's not even fair. And uh, these people are targeted from birth. And so, um, you know, I, <laughs> I say that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. And, it, you know, I, I said, well, we're going to take up the mantle and we're going to go after this. We're going to see to it that people get healed, delivered, and set free. And that the devil's pirating of, of them for his agendas to advance in the earth do get stopped. And, you know, the amazing thing, guys, is that we do see agendas stopped when we break off the, uh, the, the, the pirating that the devil is putting in to very high-level survivors. And this gets into why the Illuminati is as important to the devil as they are. And so um, I, I guess I'll, I'm just going to pause there because I don't know if you want me to uh, take a, a step back and go a bit deeper into the mechanisms of, of what I'm describing as far as how this plays out from a biblical context or if you want to go in another direction. What is your feeling, Daniel? I don't want to take you in a direction which you didn't intend to go tonight, and I just want to cover as much ground as possible tonight. So you tell tell us what would be most um, efficient for this interview? Because again, I don't. Again, I'd like to cover as much ground as possible. So you, it's up to you. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> we could take this. We could talk for days. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, um, I, I think it would be good to just kind of uh, address this a little bit from. Um, 
you know, a, a, a bit of a spiritual perspective, give some more mechanics, and kind of tie what I just said okay. into the Bible. Because, right, yeah, let's do that. You know, many times when I begin to talk about satanic ritual abuse, associative identity disorder, government-sponsored mind control, these kinds of subjects, it, it does make certain people uncomfortable because they're like, oh, I don't see it in the Bible, therefore it doesn't exist. And it's like, well, yeah, you don't see it in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that God didn't put it there. It doesn't mean you haven't seen it yet. And, um, you know, okay, so the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that... Um, May the God of all peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is very clear that we have a body, a soul, or a suki in the Greek, and a spirit, or a pneuma in the Greek. And the, you, you, it, it's really not correct to try to take soul and spirit and mash them into one thing as uh, some perspectives attempt to do it's just not true they, there are three because they, they are separate in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 you find that the Bible says the sword of the spirit is sharper than any two edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder soul and spirit bone and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and in that passage you do see that there is suki and numa, soul and spirit but there's also this thing called the heart which is cardia also translated from the Hebrew word lab if you go into the Old Testament. Well, if you look at the soul, the heart, and the spirit, I, I, I break it down this way. I, I say the soul is the conscious mind, the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellect, what a person uses on, on, in a day-to-day -day life, execution of thought processes. Two plus two is four. What part of you figured that out? Your conscious mind. It interfaces with the brain. It's the soul. Then there is what I would call the lowest parts of the soul. And that is the subconscious mind. This, if you do your word study in the Bible, becomes synonymous with leb and cardio, or, or the revelation of the heart. And the heart is also understood as the seat of human intuition. Um, it, it has to do with the feelings, the will, the center of anything. Um, and so it's a different level of consciousness and understanding. Now, the heart is where a person's belief systems reside. For instance, if I go to a female and I say, oh, wow, you look so pretty today, she might say, thank you, but give me a scowl. Why? Because in her mind, she does not think she is pretty. She thinks she's ugly. Now, why does she think she's ugly? Well, um, not because of how she physically appears. It's because all her life growing up, everyone told her, you're ugly, fat, and you're no good. And so when we get this kind of incoming, what that does is it infects a part of us. Not our conscious mind, which is where logic occurs, but our subconscious mind, which is where our belief system resides. A, a sense of identity, the self-worth, understanding of how the world works, so on and so forth. So you have that sitting there in the subconscious, and um, th that, that is a huge target for both God and the devil because God says, I don't look at men's outward appearance, I look at the heart. The devil, well, he's after the, man, the heart of man too because the devil knows, based on this example, the more poison he can get into a person's heart, the more he can destroy their sense of identity. And when the devil destroys a person's sense of identity, he, he literally destroys their ability to understand 
who they are in Christ even after they're saved because they don't see it. All they can see is their programs. You know, uh, I'm no good. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm worthless. I'm not smart. I'm this, on and on and on. These become belief systems. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Is uh, Proverbs 4.23. It says, um, for the... Uh, issues of life flow from the heart and that word issues is also translated um, from a word that means borders it means that there's a perimeter that your life will be limited by or within confined to borders and what establishes those borders is not God it's actually the person's heart because God's borders are limitless but a person's heart will determine how far they can be expanded into God's limitlessness based on their belief system so get this when Jesus came he said do not look over there see the kingdom is not here but I tell you it is within your hearts so God took his kingdom and you know and he uses it and it is also surrounding you in the amplified version of that passage so God put his limitlessness in so, so that it could serve this purpose, to redefine the borders of a person's life in accordance with God's perspective. This is the wisdom of God in the new covenant. This is how he takes us from a place of just total brokenness and destituteness and into the, the limitless abundance of everything that he is and has for us. And, you know, we, we can get into kingdom you know, a little later. But you, you have the soul, you have the heart, then you have the spirit. And the spirit can be understood as the unconscious mind or I would say also super conscious mind. It's the spirit. Spirit that connects with God. First Corinthians six seventeen says, um, "For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him." In another place, the Bible says, uh, "We worship the Lord." When the Lord is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So when we worship God, the whole point is that our spirit man connects to God. It's not our soul that we worship out of. So when you see a bunch of people just standing there, hands at their sides, rolling their eyes, reading words, that's not real worship guys that's not worship at all because they there's that's soul that's, that's ritual soul. right that's it not worship ritual. that's ritual it is religious it but it's not connecting with god and so the part of us that's designed to connect with god is our spirit man where the spirit of the lord resides occupies you know the bible says that we have been sealed unto the day of redemption by the holy spirit you know that all happens as a result of spiritual processes. So you have these different levels of a, a person's construct. And what the Bible does is it comes in Isaiah 61, and it says that God came to preach good tidings. It says he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, what happens when a person is traumatized is that it actually breaks the person's heart. Their heart is broken. I mean, when you're two years old and the man that's supposed to protect you, love you, and take care of you is now doing horrible things to your body and choking you, that, that breaks the child's heart. That, that it, it shatters a person, right? And so what Jesus did, he sees that I came to bind that up. When a person is traumatized... Um, in a number of ways, and, and I, I'm not talking like this, you know, programming is the only way a person's heart gets broken. I mean, you can get your heart broken over, you know, a lost relationship um, that was very important to you, but it's different. Early on, high-level traumas literally will shatter a person's heart, and Jesus, his ministry is to put that back together. Now, 
The interesting thing is that when a person goes through trauma and, and begins to develop dissociation leading to altered states of consciousness manifesting as other persons, um, those persons, those manifested uh, personalities live in the subconscious. I mean, th this is what people have realized. Like that, that is the place where they abide in the mind. They actually are rooted in the subconscious. And when a person will do things, if, if they're the presence of multiple parts in them, um, when they engage in what we call switching the parts that are in the subconscious will come to the surface and the parts that are in the surface will go to the subconscious. At lower levels, this can just look like bipolar disorder, where a person goes from sad to really angry really fast. Um, it's not even necessarily that it's a completely altered personality state with its own identity, but it's a type of dissociation where uh, another element of that person's subconscious is like phasing forward when deep trauma has been applied, um, that broken heart, it literally uh, in, it, it abides or exists as the presence of <laughs> different personalities all having their own identity. Now, this is the interesting thing. You can't break the heart, which is the lowest part of the soul, without creating soul fragments. And so... You also, though, have this passage in Psalm 51.17, very interesting. It says, um, for the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These the Lord will not despise. And the word broken in that passage, speaking of spirit, is actually the word shabar. Now, interesting thing about that word is it means to break or shatter in pieces. Like to take a vase and to, you know, break it, like literally break it in pieces. In other words, um, when you talk about the highest levels of trauma, it not only breaks the, the, the soul into fragments and the heart into pieces, it breaks the spirit into pieces as well. And, and we deal with all three levels. So I've learned, I've actually had a refining process o over the time I've been doing this ministry. I've had to, you know, rethink some things and some models that I've even had you know, been working with just to understand everything that's being presented to me when I'm getting into the, the actual execution of help, helping people. Um, I've realized that there are three different types of, you know, parts that you will run into in a person from a biblical perspective. You, you run into soul fragments that are pure consciousness. You run into um, parts of a person that are very significant, have their own identity. It's actually soul and spirit combined. And you will actually have parts of a person that are pure spirit, which I, I never thought should be or could be possible. But according to Psalm 51.17, it is. And it is what I've run into and others, um, you know, even on our list of Bride DID coaches, I could bring some of them on and have them talk to you guys. And, um, you know, they confirm a lot of what I'm saying. And so... It's this idea that, you know, well, you're dealing with brokenness that is described by the Bible. This is all in the Word. And again, it comes back to, well, what do you do with it? Well, you then allow Jesus to work his healing into a person's life to pull them all back together. But what I was saying before is, okay, let's say you have that heart broken in pieces of soul fragments and all this stuff. Well... That's what the devil likes to platform. Because once you have the pieces, then you can get 
certain of those pieces in agreement and hide them behind amnesic walls, barriers, and everything else that they use so that the person that presents in day-to-day life, um, you would never know if the person's well put together through their traumatization that they had been through certain things. On the lower level, yeah, they're, they're going to be a big mess. And they're, they're just going to, their whole life is falling apart all the time. And they have signs of abuse and everything. But um, at the higher levels, you often, you, you can't even tell by just first glances. Dan, let, let me ask you a question here. And, mm-hmm. I, and I hope it's not too far out of order or if it's, it, it, now at the, at the higher levels of trauma-based or mind control, mind, trauma-based mind control or just mind control at the higher levels where you're talking about people with uh, uh, different identities. Uh, I've got a, I got a three-part question. First part, in all cases, or can, can it be said in all cases or most cases, are the, does the pre, um, how would I put this, does the, does the actual person, the pre-traumatized person know about the other identities. And this, I know the answer to this, but I know a lot of people are going to have these questions and are, are curious too. And that's number one. Number two, does the, that person, are, are they able to summon, and again, you addressed this, but I want to just reaffirm this. Are they able to summon other personalities either as a way of, of a protection or for some other reason? And the third question is, out of, what you see going on today, and especially what you see going on today, are many of our leaders, could you say, many of our leaders might fit into mind control, um, those who have underwent mind control and may or may not know that? I'm I'm just curious. That's kind of like a three-part question, and I apologize if it's out of order, but I'll leave it to that. Okay. Great question. All right, so does the pre-traumatized person know that they have a presence of shattered consciousness leading to the presence of multiple personalities. Um, many times, no. I, I, it's said that the, the average survivor is misdiagnosed about seven times before they are actually diagnosed by a professional as having dissociative identity disorder. Now, with dissociation, it's never a straightforward conversation because dissociation occurs along a spectrum. There's a spectrum with the low end being uh, dissociations that people engage in every day like daydreaming. At the high end, you have dissociative identity disorder. You have polyfragmented dissociative identity disorder. And this is how laughable it is. You know, there, there are psychologists that say, yeah, polyfragmented dissociative identity disorder, uh, you, you have the presence of, you know, over a thousand parts. And they're like blown away by the idea that this could be. Um, well, guys, I work with people that have, <laughs> I, I can't even give numbers because they're so ridiculous. Uh, it's, it, you just can't even wrap your mind around it. But literally, I mean, you're talking tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of parts. Like that is what I deal with. And it, it, this is because when you get on the Illuminati level, you, you're even dealing with stuff that people don't want to acknowledge is is possible. You're dealing with people that come from families that have genetic codes that are not fully human as it is. You know, some people think, well, 
Um, if you're not fully human, you can't be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, what we found is that the blood of Jesus Christ redeems people that are not fully human. Um, but they might look fully human. I mean, it, it really, you know, you want to talk about the X-Files of Christianity, like, I live it. I mean, most of my clients are not fully human, and they know it, and so do I. And God's Spirit is working with them, and they're getting set free. I, I work with one client who, who had a name in the occult, never be free. They actually, that was their name, because it was like, there's no way anyone's ever going to get this person set free. Like, that is impossible. Um, and <laughs> realistically, it should have been, but praise God, it's not. And so, you know, coming back to that question, all right. Does the pre-traumatized person know? When you're looking at this, again, it depends on where they fall on the spectrum and where they fall in the whole conversation of things. On the low level, uh, yeah, a, a, a person that never had any problems until they went to war and, say, made their way up the spectrum to uh, the point where they have <clears throat> post-traumatic stress disorder. That's on the dissociative spectrum. This is part of the same conversation. They're going to know that there was a version of them that existed before they went to war, but that version of them is not the version of them that came back from the war. And they, they are trying to figure out how to get back to that version of themselves. Now, if a person is born into a bloodline family that programs the children, or they are born into a satanic cult, um, many times the traumatization begins... At conception, as a matter of fact, here's one story of, uh, of a survivor, and he's actually public about his information, so I'll just go ahead and throw his name out there. His name's Dr. Rob Ruckert, and uh, he's been on his own healing journey for many years, and now he works with survivors himself, awesome man of God. But he, he underwent satanic ritual abuse and some really high-level stuff that I'm not going to get into all today, but um, he, his conception occurred during a ritual, and as... There was the, uh, okay, I'm just going to use the word ejaculation. Um, they electroshocked his father. And so that went, that electric current went into the sperm and traumatized him before he was even um, in a state of cell combining between the ovum and the sperm. I mean, it, they plan their traumas, and they have it down to a science. So uh, a child will begin going undergoing trauma leading to dissociation, sometimes at conception events um, or the, during the first day after conception has occurred, and it will and trauma will occur throughout the pregnancy. Sometimes they use Epsom salts. Sometimes they inject the womb with uh, different kinds of fluids that cause the child to burn in the womb. And, and you might be asking, Daniel, how do you know all of this? I, well, I was told. As a matter of fact, coming back to what I was saying earlier, we're talking about the spirit. One of the interesting things about the human spirit is that because it's not tied to the brain like the soul, the human spirit is capable of possessing memories that the brain has not developed fully enough to store. And so when you begin to pull memories from the human spirit, which we are able to do during counseling without drugs or hypnosis or anything like that, what you, you get actual memories that <laughs> detail... What happened in the womb? And, and we, I do this regularly with survivors. And, and um, really, this could be done with anyone. But it's possible because of the way God created mankind. We were created in this way. So 
would a person like this that, that I described know that they were traumatized? Well, no, no. And in this case, there would be a systematic traumatization with the purpose of creating a presenter that is completely amnesic of all of the parts that are being dissociated for satanic, wicked, and evil purposes, cult purposes. And so the person will grow up their whole life, think their life is normal. They'll be uh, trained to ignore missing time and other elements that would be, you know, indicators of something going on. And they go through their life wondering why nothing ever seems to add up. Having strange breakdowns at awkward times. Why, when I was 25, did I find myself hiding under a table sobbing like a two-year-old? You know, and they might have a few of these events in their lives. Like, well, I can't really explain why that happened, but, you know, whatever, move on. And, um... Yeah, so it can be hidden in that way. So it just depends on where on a spectrum someone resides, what they were born into. And so there's no real easy answer to that question. Now, going to the next one, can a person summon personalities? I believe in a concept called teamwork. It, it, when I'm working with people, what happens oftentimes is that as parts of them are identified, you will find that... Um, they have useful abilities and skills. For instance, a person that's dissociated, before they realize they're dissociated, live in a, you know, a mess. They might have a part that's good at washing dishes, another part that's good at being with their husband, another part that's good at dealing with the children, but there's no order or organization of those parts. They just come in and out at inconvenient times, and the person just lives like, you know, they're just a total mess all the time. And sometimes once you help a person to realize, no, you're living as a dissociated person, you do have several parts here that are actually all about helping you get through life. Those parts can um, work together to, and it just takes a conversation, work together to execute that person's life while they're on their healing journey in a healthier way. As parts that were dark and served Satan turn to God, those parts, before they're ready for integration, can become very helpful and actually uh, lead a person, you know, um, to do things that are outside of the parameters of their own, you know, training or ability. Um, some of them come with languages, language skill sets that the person didn't have in the natural, they never learned. But their parts, once the, the parts are identified, they can bring their language into the, and, and so you, a person can be trained to work with their parts until they reach a stage where integration is the, the right step. Um, you know, I, I, I once, once upon a time thought, well, maybe it would be a good idea to just integrate all the parts right away. And then I had to talk with Dr. Preston Bailey and, you know, he, he, he taught me a lot. And, and he, this, this came from him. I mean, he said, well, I've been working with survivors for 20, 30 years. And the best way to do it is to have the parts integrate at the right time because they can be very helpful in helping the person to live their life. So can a person summon personality? If they know what's going on, they can. And that can actually lead them to live a very effective life as a dissociated individual until circumstances are right, enough healing has taken place, enough deliverance is manifested that they can come together in one person in integration. Um, many people that are dissociated, they will switch throughout the day and not know that they are doing it. The people that are around them just simply think they have, you know, uh, borderline issues, that they're bipolar. They'll call it these other things or just crazy, psychotic, uh, schizophrenic. 
um, not realizing that they're just dealing with someone that's traumatized and wounded and hurting and having different parts of them express themselves without any kind of organization or understanding within the individual. Now, you get to the question of leaders. Is this a, you know, part of what's going on with, with leaders in the world? Well, yes. Absolutely, this is what's going on with a lot of leaders. And because you have to remember that this is the major backbone of Luciferian agenda. They're trying to get their agenda into this world by platforming it through human agreement because God said the earth has been given to the children of men. That's in the book of Psalms. And so they're trying to platform their agenda in. And who do they target? Well, they target most effectively the families that have been historically aligned with powers of darkness, which tend to be the ruling families. Because the body of Christ has lived without a backbone or understanding of God's kingdom and his power for way too long. So, you know, it's the evil people that got all the power because the body of Christ doesn't know what we're doing. And um, so they, they sacrificed their children just like they did in days of old. I mean, they used to pass their children through the fires to Molech. Well, why, why do people think that stuff like this is... Change, that, that people no longer sacrifice their children to powers of darkness, give their children over, sign them over in contract. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Power moves. Um, you know. And so anyway, what, what happens is that many of these families you know, that come from power and prominence, their children are sold into projects, and they're trained and groomed and programmed. And then they're put in positions of power. But when they're in the positions of power, they might have a presenter that's very intelligent, likable, whatever. There's all this going on in the background. And um, that ensures the devil has a foothold at the top levels of just about everything. And, and, and so the system's fixed. But, you know, this is an interesting thing, guys. The interesting thing is that we are so figuring this out. And we are pressing towards this place of power in God. Where I believe the day will come that, you know, the deprogramming people does not take months or years. It takes days, hours, and minutes. And when that happens, we've hacked the devil's system, and people will get set free from the highest levels easily, and they'll be able to make up their own minds. Anyway. Well, Daniel, that's uh, just fantastic. That's and fascinating, uh, man. You know, talking about the infliction of pain on babies in the womb is just unfathomable to me, um, you know, that these people would do it. But knowing that there are people like you on the, on the, on the right side, um, trying to fix this, uh, it's very reassuring. Folks, we're with our guest tonight, Daniel Duvall, author of Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations and Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and the Spirit Realm. We're up against the top of the hour break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the spiritual fragmentation and get into Daniel's latest book, Higher Dimensions. Uh, I like this. The Christian X-Files, John. What he said. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's a lot to get into here. And uh, for those of you maybe first-time listeners, I know it's hard to imagine, but we'll uh, let Daniel lay down a biblical foundation for this. BrideMovement.com and TheFireplaceChurch.org are his websites. We'll be right back with Daniel DeVol. This is the Global Stock. 
Look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposed the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. What a great guest, Daniel Duvall. Daniel Duvall, remember that name. You're going to see, I, I, I do believe, in the end times, and, and if you believe that we're in the end times, I, as I do, I think you're going to see more and more things happen. But um, Daniel Duvall, to me, is, is perhaps one of the most intelligent people I know, and uh, uh, I, I would I would say he's an expert at uh, at his at, at these subjects and these subjects of uh, definitely yeah you know in, in his books we rely a lot on on books for our information and his his books uh, uh, Kingdom Government and the one that you've got your arm on there if you want to hold that up uh, the yeah what is that. Uh, the higher dimensions, okay, right. parallel dimensions right. in the spirit realm. I, I couldn't see the subtitle on that, but 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 you know those two books and especially that one, uh, uh, they're both great. But the this second book, Higher Dimensions, it, folks, if you're interested, and I think everyone needs to be at, at this time. This is not a sales pitch. This is an information pitch. If you are interested in understanding the times in which we live and the people that you deal with and the the traps that are laid before us, this is to me higher dimensions answers a lot of the questions um, and timely questions, as Dan Duvall writes, are being asked around the world. And in this book here, as he writes, will take you from a fundamental basics of, of higher dimensions and, and graduate you into the mysteries of the spirit realm. And isn't that what we're seeing anyway? I mean, to me, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the veil, the thin veil being laid bare. Imagine, did you ever have an old car with your seats, cloth seats? I remember my my 71 Pino. uh, Parts of it were threadbare. And uh, this is what we're seeing, I think, in in the veil of the spirit that separates the spirit realm and the physical. So to me, that's... But that, that book is exceptional. So Daniel Duvall, visit, visit his website. Links to his website are on HagmanandHagman.com. BrideMovement.com and TheFireplaceChurch.org. Absolutely. Now, now folks, um, 
Um, uh, Joe's going to be handling um, from here, handling the bulk of the show. I have a meeting, and I hope uh, I'm going to try to get back. But uh, I just want to say that uh, um, yeah, it's glad to have Eric back. So glad to have Eric back. Thank you, Eric, for for coming in. Uh, and, and I try to I try to post a picture of an old guy with a an IV in an open gown showing his butt walking down a hallway. But it's he's not that bad, of course. But uh, anyway, uh, so I'm glad to have him back. And if you notice the quality of, of our audio, thank you so much, Eric, for all of your your time and effort and your coming in when you're when you're not uh, feeling well. And, and don't forget, guys, women, everyone, this weekend, Mother's Day. Oh man, let's celebrate Mother's Day in style, guys and women, whoever. If you if you can hear my voice, do me a favor. Treat your mothers with absolute love and care this this Mother's Day. Please, if if she is still around, mom, grandma, the wife, the mother of your children, your sister, a coworker, it doesn't matter. If you know a mother, and I'm sure you do, then make her life special. And how do you do that? The people at ProFlowers have you covered. ProFlowers.com. Go to ProFlowers.com. Enter our code microphone in the microphone box. Or Hagman, the last our last name, the name of the show, Hagman. Just put Hagman in there. Or you can call Pro Flowers by calling eight hundred Pro Flowers, and then say, "Hey, I heard I heard John Hagman." Or better yet, you can visit ProFlowers dot com and type in Hagman on the microphone, blue microphone, in the top right hand corner. Now, here's the offer, which expires tomorrow. See, do it today. This is a great deal. You get a, a hundred blooms, hundred beautiful flowers, individual flowers. Their blooms are beautiful. And a free glass vase for nineteen ninety nine. This is a no-brainer to me. I mean, for 20 bucks, this is what you get. A hundred blooms and a, a vase. Plus shipping and handling, of course. Or, or you want to do something a little bit better. Upgrade to a premium vase and add gourmet chocolates for just nine ninety nine more. Folks, go to proflowers.com today. And can't beat that, Tim. Yeah, you, you can't. I mean, they take the guesswork out of sending mom, grandma, your wife, your whoever, the perfect Mother's Day gift. Don't tell my wife, but I did get her. I did get her flowers from Pro, Pro Flowers, so don't tell. Anyway, you can't beat the price of convenience. Pro Flowers takes care of the details. They are guaranteed to be fresh and beautiful for and last for at least seven days or your money back. We found we found that they last so much longer than that. You choose a delivery date that you want. It's guaranteed. Really, it's a no-brainer, folks. We have used them extensively and nearly exclusively here at the Hagman household and uh, at the studio. Found them to, to, to deliver the finest every single time. Never had a disappointing arrangement from ProFlowers.com. That's ProFlowers.com code word Hagman. ProFlowers.com microphone code box Hagman. Joe, go ahead, sir. All right. Again, if you joined us late, we are talking with author Daniel Duvall. His websites are BrideMovement.com and TheFireplaceChurch.org. He's an author, conference speaker, licensed minister, and radio host, and the founder and president of BrideMinistries.com. He's published some great books, including his latest, Kingdom Government, and uh, The Promise of Sheep Nations, and Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and The Spirit Realm. And uh, you can find his radio show. He is the host of Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall uh, podcast and the director of Fireplace Church. And 
before you get back to uh, Daniel, I just want to mention too. I forgot to do this. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I know uh, Karen, you're out walking your dog. Bend down and, and give your dog a hug for me, especially uh, Sean. I'm, thank you for listening. He's listening in a, in a patrol car. Please be safe out there. In fact, we've got uh, probably half a dozen people that we know about right now working uh, in patrol cars, working the beat. So please be careful. Number of truck drivers we've heard from before the show. Thank you for doing what you do. Please drive safely, and uh, know that. Uh, and, and Dan, uh, I got to tell you, we've got uh, we've got people listening right now that we know from 16 countries to this broadcast. So thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for sharing your time with us. Well, again, thank you guys for having me on your program. It's it's always a pleasure, and it, it's nice to have you know the time. Uh, because of the way you guys have this extended set to really get into these things, explain them, and then have time for you know questions and really deep investigation. I, I love it. Uh, absolutely. Anything we can do uh, to further the message of Jesus and, and bring people to His Word. Uh, that's, you know, what we've been called to do and we've been blessed and given this platform to do it. And, uh, with, you know, awesome guests like yourself, we are able to dig deep into these issues. And, uh, you know, we not only thank our listeners for that, we thank our guests such as yourself for that. Amen. So let's get back into this. Uh, Daniel, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have anything that you wanted to, to continue saying that you weren't able to say last hour about the spiritual well, soul fragmentation. and uh, I, I will say this. This does create challenges for people, especially when the human spirit gets implicated in some of these uh, traumas, because as I was saying when I when I referenced Psalm fifty one seventeen, it's shattering of the human spirit when it's broken that way. This is the problem. That person, when they go to connect with God, the part of them that's designed to connect with God isn't working the way it was designed to. It creates a problem. You know, I don't know if you've ever run into this. Joe, but there are people that say, no matter how much I pray or fast or read the word, it seems like I just can't connect with God. Mm-hmm. You ever wonder what's going on there? And then you know what happens? You go to pray with them and you say, well, I felt the spirit of the Lord. How about you? Nope, nothing. And sometimes these people, they, they, they begin to think, well, God must just hate my guts. They, God doesn't like me. Maybe God doesn't want me around. Why is it that everyone else around me seems to have an easier time connecting with God, but me over here, I'm the rejected stepchild. I'm probably the bad fish, the one God wants to throw into the furnace of fire because I just read Matthew chapter 13. Or some kind of logic like this, people think God just hates me. You know, many survivors that I meet have come to the conclusion, God must just hate me. Yeah. One of the things that I've found is that because the church has not known how to minister to the human spirit, we haven't known how to help people connect to the healing power of Jesus Christ in such a way that this problem is getting resolved. But because we have understood the mysteries 
of the soul, the heart, the spirit, the fragmentation, and how this leads to different types of symptomologies in a person's experience with Jesus Christ and this world in general. We've been able to actually remedy these things because we are able to minister healing to the human spirit, the heart, and the soul on every level. And what manifests as a result of that is a, a extremely strong belief. As a matter of fact, just about everyone that gets around me at some point or another I'm my whole board and everything. I'm going to minister to their human spirit specifically to bring the human spirit to a place of optimum um, functionality. Because people have not understood just how powerful the human spirit was designed to be. You know, there's this whole agenda, Joe. It's an agenda to create transhumanism. The mm -hmm. devil wants to pair the human genome with robots, nanotech and animal stuff. And you know what? They're doing it. But God also has his own hybrids, right? <laughs> you know what his hybrids are? He had this crazy idea that he would take man and he would take God and he would hybridize this thing that you call a Christian and loose it into the world with supreme power to the extent that he said... I have given you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy that nothing would by any means hurt you. How about that? You know, where's the church living, Joe? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, blown away many times as I get into the subject, but, uh, you know, how enfeebled the church has remained knowing that the full expression of what God has actually done and made room for would unleash the greatest, the most powerful group of people ever. I mean, and yeah. um, this is a this is the thing. You know, th their transhumanism has nothing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we don't know how to connect with it, and part of that's because the human spirit hasn't been addressed, and to many people, it's just been broken. And so I just want to encourage people. You know, sometimes there are people, and you say, there is no explanation for what I've been going through. And I want to say this. God does have an explanation for what you've been going through. And He also has solutions. That's all. That, that, those were my uh, concluding thoughts, Joe, on what we were discussing before, unless you have some more questions. Uh, no. No, we can move on. Um now, where, do you, where would you like to go from here? We can go into the topic of obedience and the role that that plays in our faith with the Lord and in the results that we see in the changes that we go through uh, for for not only our own benefits but due to our obedience in Him. Or we can get into Higher Dimensions, um, your latest book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and the Spirit Realm uh, well, that you sent us here today, which we're so happy to have. You, you know, Joe, we've talked about this before the program, and I think, you know, especially since you named the program Obedience, we should at least touch on it. Here's okay. the thing, Joe. This is the way I look at it. A lot of people get confused because they don't know what Christianity is. People really do believe that Christianity is a religion. They, they think that's all it is. It's a belief system. So, you know, you, you have all these people walking around saying, well, what's your religion? Oh, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. Nice. What's your religion? I'm a Buddhist. Oh, okay, you know. It, it's just, it, you know, for many people, they just look at it as a belief system only. But 
What I've realized, Joe, is that Christianity is much more than just a religion or just a belief system. And this ties into the concept of obedience because we, we haven't understood the importance of obedience because we haven't understood what we're actually participating in. Because if you look at Christianity as just a belief system or just a philosophy, then you can effectively say, well, I like these elements of this philosophy, but right here where I don't think that this one works for me, I'm going to replace it with this philosophy because that one makes more sense with my experience. So it's this journey of trying to create a belief system around Christianity that aligns with a person's experience. Um, I don't feel like being celibate, so I will just omit every part of the Word of God that deals with sexual morality and do whatever I want in that area, but I'm going to, you know, just believe that Jesus is, is a savior. And, um, you know, like, like we find ways to work our opinions in to a belief system that we put together that seems to make sense for our lives. Yeah, justifying our behavior so we don't have to face the reality. Well, but it, it, it's kind of a problem, Joe. I mean, you, and, and so when anyone gets close to God, they realize this isn't going to fly. Because you can't get close to God without also connecting to His holiness, His righteousness. And when you come in that environment, you're convicted of sin. Sin, sin can't abide in the presence of God. It's, it's really um, challenged. Why? Well, what I've realized, Joe, is that people haven't known what they're dealing with when they're dealing with Christianity. They just think it's a belief system, a philosophy. But Jesus Christ came and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, God is described as king. Jesus has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The, the Bible in, in the book of Revelation said says in, in chapter 1, I, John, who am your companion in the fellowship and kingdom, in the kingdom of God and you know, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible also says in another place, we have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13. And so you have to ask yourself, well, there's this language that keeps showing up. Jesus is preaching this thing. He's saying, repent, because this kingdom is coming. And then we see that John actually identifies himself as being a member of that kingdom. We see that there's a translation into that kingdom in Colossians. In Philippians 3.20, one of the most profound passages for certain people, because they just can't believe the words actually say what they say. Philippians 3.20 says, uh, for we are citizens in heaven from which we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and so you, you, you get into this language uh, and centering on this subject of heaven and kingdom and you have to begin to ask yourself the question wait a minute what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God what really is that and what God, God took me on a long journey with this one Joe because when you begin to understand the kingdom, you begin to understand obedience. Because the kingdom of God is not just a philosophy. 
As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6, what you see is that there are seraphim, angels with six wings, and th there is God on his throne. And the seraphim takes the coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips and cleanses him. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. God has a throne. Now, if you have a king who sits on a throne, where do you think that king lives? Well, he lives in his kingdom. What we don't understand many times is that Christianity is not a connection into a belief system or a philosophy. It's a connection into the very kingdom of God. Now, you have to look at God's kingdom for what it is, if you're ever going to understand the absolute necessity of obedience. Because in a kingdom, what happens is the king actually makes all the rules. There's no vote, not in a true kingdom. When the king makes a decree, it is law. And so when God declares himself king, his decrees become law in his kingdom. And the only thing that the king's subjects get to do is obey or be in rebellion and face consequences. You, you can't be in a kingdom, rebel against the king's decrees and not face consequences because you're in a government. And this is why many Christians, I think, have missed it even on the subject of obedience. They don't know what they're dealing with. They think they're a citizen of the country they live in operating in a philosophy that makes sense to them that somehow implicates the name of Jesus. But what the Bible teaches is that God has redeemed men and women through Jesus Christ and connected them into this kingdom so that we are participating in his government. And the thing is, you have to ask yourself, Joe, what is a kingdom? I had to ask myself this question years ago. I said, what is a kingdom? Oh, that's right. A kingdom is a government. With a hierarchy and, oh, uh, you know, uh, stations of responsibility. And it's like a body, uh, like the body of Christ. There's a hierarchy. You have the kingdom of heaven and you have the kingdom of darkness. Mm. And that's, you know, the spiritual versus carnal nature. Um, and we know that the Lord has already shown us the beginning from the end. The kingdom of heaven wins out and destroys the kingdom of darkness. And what you talked about in the first hour explains a lot of the hierarchy of the kingdom of darkness and how it works in people. And one of the things that, that really strikes out to me is the brutal uh, nature and, you know, to, to have to break a person's heart, soul, and spirit down uh, to get them to unwillingly work for the kingdom of darkness versus those who want to be um, in the kingdom of heaven, who've taken Jesus into their heart and want to do his will. It seems the opposite with the kingdom of darkness, that they will you know, abuse force and, and make somebody uh, be a part of their kingdom. Oh, exactly. See, 
the, the I say this, Joe, the primary real estate of the spirit realm is the hearts of men. The, the, the primary real estate of the spirit realm is the hearts of men because the heart determines where a person's agreements lie and where people's agreements lie determine where this world goes within prophetic parameters that are absolute according to the word of God. So the devil knows that when he can hijack a person's heart or belief system, he can put his code in there, his belief system in there, his poison in there, and platform them to destroy the world. He platforms them to become the pedophile when they themselves have suffered because of pedophiles. Because he just infects the belief system with all kinds of filth and slime and um, accusations and guilt and shame. Feelings of betrayal and rebellion. And in the same way, and, and this is how the mystery of like looking at trauma and, and looking at the way a person is um, dissociated at different levels, soul, heart, spirit. See, this conversation pervades every element of conversation on a, for a lot of reasons. And just in a practical level, we're, now we're talking a practical level stuff. The war is over the human heart. Because God knows that when he gets a firm grasp of people's hearts, he changes the world through them. And when God moves to platform his agenda, because see, God can platform his realm. God can platform his realm. You know, here's, here's another interesting uh, factoid. And I, I, I believe this is true. Uh, the, uh, the heart has a, a, a wave frequency that um, extends about eight feet out of the body, while the brain has a frequency that extends about, I don't know, a, a number, maybe a foot, 80, I'm not sure the number, but it's much smaller. Like there, there's, a, there's a field. Because, you know, the, the brain has electrical circuits, they're called neurons, and there's a field that it generates. Um, everyone has a brain wave signature, brain frequency, brain wave frequency signature. And, but, but the heart has this much larger field. And so, you know, what, what you put in a person's heart, the belief system, the influence from the spirit realm is going to generate this atmosphere around them. And that's why when you come into the presence of a man or woman of God that is truly surrendered to God, like you feel the God on them. You're like, wow, I, I'm just standing here next to you and I'm just feeling great. Um, so God knows that when he gets his belief system and influence, platforms his realm out of people's hearts, man, does he begin to change the way things work. And so, you know, what we're talking about is how, how influential can Christians be? Very. <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 in other words, the fat lady hasn't sung yet. Uh, Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. And there's still a lot that's going on on the planet now. And God is still seating on his throne and he still has this 
realm, his kingdom, that he's trying to get into people's hearts. You, you know, this is the interesting thing. In, in, in the New Testament, the Bible says that God has given us the Holy Spirit to write upon the fleshy tables of the heart. Then why would he write upon that fleshy table? That's the belief system of God getting planted into the heart of man so that God's belief system overrides the devil's and God can platform his realm out of us. The devil wants to get people anchored in bitterness and sin and shame and condemnation, all these things, and then get demonic attachments working in them and platform his realms out of them, his agendas out of them. It's the same and, conversation. Yeah, and you, and you just made me think of something that I hear, uh, I, I read from emails and I hear from people that I talk to um, who have different opinions on this. Now, some say you ask God uh, or Jesus into your heart, and uh, through your uh, salvation, that the Lord will continue to work on you and change you inside out. Others say that you know you work on changing yourself and repent of sin and, and turn away from it and stop sinning, and then uh, basically uh, you're asking Jesus into your heart, and Jesus works. To this, for your salvation to the end until uh, he purifies you. And others believe that sometimes it is uh, men who work on their obedience with the Lord together to, to rid yourself of sin. How do you see uh, this issue? That's a great question. Here's how I see the issue, Joe. And uh, I'm actually going to be sharing about this in uh, our sermon t tomorrow for the fireplacechurch.org. Uh, but, okay, the Bible says, Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I think that the question that you're asking finds a balance when a person begins to understand grace. Now, at Bride Ministries, we, we have a, a whole eight-week course on grace. And we teach grace from this angle, that grace has basically four, what I would call theologically acknowledged definitions. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is divine influence upon the heart. Grace is God's ability. And grace is the finished work. So, when you look at a passage like Romans 6.14, what you realize is that the Bible is essentially saying, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under the finished work. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under divine influence upon the heart. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under God's ability. And... Okay, when I was in college, and this was like, you know, we're going back 10 years. I had been in a relationship. And it was, it was a sinful relationship. I mean, I had a girlfriend, and, you know, we were doing the do, and God, God eventually got a hold of my life. And there was other things going on in my life that I, you know, shouldn't have been doing, going out, getting drunk on weekends, partying, doing all that stuff. 
And God got a hold of me and said, all right, it's time to get back on track here. You, you, you're done. And I said, yes, sir. And so I stopped doing the partying. I, I, I dumped the girlfriend. And what happened in that season was I fell headfirst into this addiction called pornography. And I really got addicted. Now, before that, I, you know, I had used pornography at times, but it was not an addiction. But after the girlfriend went out of the picture, it became an addiction. And I was, for the first time in my life, actually in a situation where I felt trapped by my own behavior. I, I actually did mm -hmm. not feel like I had power over what I was being defeated by every day. And um, it was so bad that I would come home from class and I wouldn't even be able to think until I went to the pornography. I, I couldn't even think. My brain didn't work. It was like, there's only one thing on my mind right now. I, I, I just have to feed that addiction and then I'll be able to focus. I'll be able to study. I'll be able to do my own work. I'll be able to pass my test. And, and, and while I'm in this addiction, I'm like turning to God, right? So I'm in my word. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm studying and fasting. But I'm stuck in this cycle of failure where it's like, all right, I know I screwed up. I know I failed. I'm sorry. But then I just do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's easy when you find yourself in any kind of addiction where, where you're in the cycle of failure. To, to, to go into condemnation and to think things like, God must just hate my guts. Or maybe I was born to be a failure. Maybe God designed me as a vessel of dishonor. And so, you know, the devil uses these lies to trap people. Well, here's what God did. As I was in this pattern of failure, God stepped in one day because I was praying about it. I was like, God, I don't really, I don't know what to do. And it was like I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, and this was when I was still getting used to hearing the word, like, the, you know, the voice of God. I, I it, it was just soft impressions on the inside of me. It was nothing more than that. And but, but what I discerned was that I was supposed to pray a different way. And... Um, God told me in my situation, he said, Daniel, I want you to pray this way. Pray that my grace, that you receive it. Pray that you receive my grace to never want to do this again. Like, so, so he began to say, repent for what you're doing, which is wrong. But after you repent, say, I receive your grace and never want to do this again. Now, now, Joe, I didn't know what grace was at the time. I just thought it was a word in the Bible that showed up a lot. I was like, oh, that's one of those good words in the Bible, like mercy and propitiation and some of these other words that just go right over my head. Grace, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. So when God told me to start using grace in my prayer, I was like, well, what? What does that even mean? But I said, okay, I'll give it a shot because <laughs> nothing else is working, right? So I began to pray. After I would, I would come home and fail, I would then go and pray and say, God, I repent for failing and sinning. And by the way, I receive your grace and never want to do this again. And I'll tell you what, Joe, the most amazing thing happened. I did exactly what the Lord said to do. Day one. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Because the next day, I was still addicted to pornography. And I was like, oh, come on. So I went and uh, came home and failed again. So I said, okay, I'll just follow the same pattern. God, I repent for what I just did, and I receive your grace never want to do it again. I came back day three, failed again. Nothing changed. And I was like, what is this? So what I did was I said, well, I'll just play this game, right? Because I didn't know what was going on. 
And it was like a, a week or a week and a half had gone by. And one day I came home. And suddenly, it was gone. I didn't want to look at porn. I had no desire, no drive, nothing. It was all, like, just evaporated, gone, in a, in a moment. And I was like, the only reason at this point I would look at pornography is just to spite God, because, I mean, I could... But I don't have to. It's broken off my life. And, and I was like, how did grace do this? I thought grace is just what saved me. So over the years, God taught me a lot about grace. And he said, no, Daniel, grace is not just a concept. It's a tool and a weapon. You know, the Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the tearing down of strongholds. Grace is actually a weapon that can tear down strongholds because sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace. What I realized later on as I reinvestigated what had happened there is that God's ability replaced mine when I extended my faith. So the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we <clears throat> are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And so I'm looking at this thing like, oh my gosh, here's a principle. God's ability saves me when I connect to it by faith. And then this thing began to blow up in my face, Joe, because I was like, wow, this doesn't just get to be applied to sin and freedom from that thing. This thing gets to be applied to every area of life. You know what Paul said? Paul said, um, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 And it's like, not only can the grace deliver me from sin because it's God's ability, grace, being God's ability, actually allows me to fulfill a calling and a purpose from God out of his ability and not striving in the flesh to do things that I think make God happy. Paul said, all these works I'm doing, I'm all over the world. Miracles, signs, wonders, break out. The grace of God is doing that. It's, it, it really began to change my entire approach to Christianity where what it did was it took the weight of the guilt and the shame for failure off of me and allowed me to simply surrender to relationship and deliverance and freedom through relationship as opposed to banging my head against the wall, gritting my teeth, and trying to do it in the power of my own flesh. When I realized that God had ability for me that could replace my limited ability of my own flesh and that I was not plugging into it, I said, this has to change. I'm going to plug into grace for every area of life, from ministry to freedom from sin. And I think that the conversation on obedience and how to be free from sin finds a lot of balance when we understand that we are responsible 
to believe God. That's faith. We are saved by grace through faith. So through faith, that's how we connect to it. We use our faith. So we have to desire it. We have to go to God and ask for it. We have to determine that we are going to get it. But what we have to do is realize that once we determine to get it, the power, the authority, the ability, the finished work is His, not ours. And so we connect to Him and allow Him to do His will in us. And the only thing that gets fostered in this pattern is deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Which is the whole point because what man lost in the garden, God restored through Jesus. Amen. Very well said. And and definitely an interesting, very interesting perspective. Thank you, Joe. So, I mean, obedience is something that we have to do through in a in a faith way first. Our faith must be obedient before we become obedient. I believe that we can actually believe ourselves into obedience because that's exactly what I found with the porn. Like there was a desire in me somewhere that I didn't want to be in that bondage, but I didn't right. see how I could get out of it myself. And I, you know, I'm saved. I'm baptized. Like, you know, Mark 16 says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I mean, I'm like, I'm saved here, but I'm still in the bondage. How do I get out of this? You know, and a lot of Christians, they find themselves here, Joe, and um, they, they get beat up on. And I think a lot of Christians have been very wounded in this area of conversation because they know they're failing. You don't have to tell a person that has made a true commitment to Jesus Christ, you're failing here. It's, you're not doing a good job. They know. Um, but many times, they're, they're wounded because while they know they're not failing, they feel ill-equipped to stop failing. And the only thing they can do is look inward and say, man, maybe I'm just supposed to be a failure. Maybe God just hates me. And then they go and they hear preaching. Get the sin out of your life. And there's nothing wrong with that message. We should get the sin out of our life. So they hear it. And they're like, I need to get the sin out of my life. And then they go and they try and they fail. And then, you know, uh, their sin gets exposed and then they are judged. And then they are shamed and then, you know, and it's like, well, if someone gave me a way to get out of this cycle, I would, but no, no one's helping me. You, you, you know, I, a lot of people have been wounded in churches where they're told the right thing, but not given the right tools. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't end at grace. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying, Joe, by any means that this message of grace is an end-all, be-all, have-all, uh, solve-all. You know, the Bible is a balanced book. And um, inner healing is just as important for being free of sin as connecting to God's grace, as deliverance from actual demonic influences that do cause people to engage in certain activities. I mean, you, you you can ask for grace all you want, but if you never get the spirits out that might be afflicting you, and we, I mean, I, I don't know where you want to go with the third hour, but we, we can spend a whole time talking about how to do battle in the spirit as a Christian and get the spirits influencing you out of your life and all that. But it, it's very important because the, the, the reality is 
that demons, they, they, they have many, many entrance points. And, and some people say, well, Christians, they, they can't have demonic problems because how can there be darkness where the light dwells? So they'll say some kind of silliness like that, which is, uh, has nothing to do with what that passage actually says. But Jesus actually says, be careful that the light in you is not darkness. And so, anyway... Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, you find this really, really interesting story. In that interesting story, Philip has gone preaching, right? And, and, and he is just leading a whole city to Jesus, and the power of God's with him. And Simon the sorcerer is there, and they thought he was a great man, the people around, until Philip showed up with the true power of God. Let me, let me just pause there and say, God's not done displaying true power yet. Uh, and uh, we, oh man, we could get into testimonies of miracles, all kinds of really cool things. But like, you know, we see it all the time. But God, God's not. Just, but but there's Philip doing it, right? And so Simon, who did all these occult works of miracles and signs and whatever, realized that his stuff was petty, weak, and feeble. It, it's nothing. And so he said, "Wow, I want what you got." And he gets saved. Simon gets saved, and then. He takes it one step further and he gets baptized in Acts chapter 8. So you see that Simon is saved and baptized. We go back to Matthew chapter 16 and we read, he was, believes in his baptized will be saved. And, you know, I, I happen to believe that the transaction of salvation occurs when the Holy Spirit enters the believer. Um, and, and water baptism follows that. But, you know, it, it, regardless of where a person falls on this conversation, Simon by just about everybody that's going to look at his situation, is saved by this time. And then, Peter and John, they go to that place to lay hands on people so they can receive the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what the language of the Bible uses there. And so, they go to begin laying hands on these people and you know pe people are receiving this impartation from them and Simon is amazed at what he sees Simon or uh, blah 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 uh, Peter and, and and John ministering so he goes to Peter and he says I'd like to buy this gift from you mm -hmm. um you take cash or check <laughs> and <laughs> so Peter says oh no 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 that that's this is not how this works let me tell you, you need to repent because you have problems here with your thinking. By the way, I perceive that you are still in the bonds of iniquity and in the gall of bitterness. What is Peter saying there? He's saying you are in bondage to iniquity, which in some cases can be understood as generational sin generational curse I mean but more than that just at the surface level he's saying you my friend are entangled in spiritual bondage but he was saved and he was baptized and let me tell you Joe what I find is that deliverance is the children's bread God wants his kids to be set free and so what Peter is essentially saying there is that you need some deliverance my friend because you have major spiritual problems going on and you have not identified with the finished work of Jesus Christ to the extent that you've been set free of those things. And, you know, I, 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 I can't stand when certain believers, they, they buy into this philosophy that if you're really saved, you can't have a demonic problem because that's 
in my experience, I mean, I, I just watch it all the time. I oh, rarely yeah. meet Christians that don't have some kind of demonic affliction moving in their lives. And I look at it like this: when you see, uh, you know, Satan and who his enemy is, it's not the uh, people who are of the world, you know, living outside of Christianity. It's not people who are turned over to sin. It is specifically Christians who he perceives. Uh, he will not get their soul, or he will not take over their soul. Those are the people he's going after. And those are people who are saved and who are Christian. He's not mm-hmm. going after non-Christians. He's not going after non, you know, people. He's going after people who, who are, who are going to be saved and who are saved. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And, and so, Look, um, going back to the grace question, the sin question, the bondage question, the obedience question. There, there, see, uh, people have lapses in obedience for different reasons. And here's another one. Joe, I, I heard a, a preacher once say, modeled behavior is the most powerful type of generational curse. And I was like, oh, that is so true. Oh, my gosh, that is so true. When granddaddy dealt with his uh, problems by getting drunk, Daddy dealt with his problems by getting drunk. Uncle dealt with his problems by getting drunk. Mama dealt with their problems by getting drunk. People are given a model. If you have problems, then, and they'll begin their list. If the only option on their list is go out and get drunk, can I tell you, Joe, that's what they do. People tend to not be very creative unless they find themselves challenging their models. And not everybody has the wherewithal to do that unless someone comes into their lives and says, hey, maybe you should look at a different model for dealing with things. So sometimes people are trapped because they've been presented faulty models and they have not been presented a model of how to do something God's way. This is a huge problem for a lot of people too. Anyway, um, all of this conversation comes back to this. Obedience is necessary. But I believe that with proper understanding and equipping, people can be empowered to attain to obedience in Jesus that only fosters deeper relationship with Him and breaks them free of cycles of shame, guilt, condemnation, and every other evil kind of thing that comes along with approaches that use... Um, like, it's just the, the Bible as a clobber on people's heads to beat them and to wound them until they're just sitting there trying to lick their wounds and survive this earth under the weight of what they're essentially perceiving as legalism and religious oppression. Anyway, yeah. By the way, um, here's another thing. Christians need to understand, Joe, that they live on a battlefield. They're actually born into one because this world is being uh, hijacked by the powers of darkness and the spirit realm is alive and on fire. You know, some Christians, they think that they're going to be born into this world and they're going to be Christian. They're just going to, you know, coast by. There's no coasting by in a battlefield. A lot of people get beat down by the devil because they have not learned how to engage life as a warrior on an actual battlefield because this is not what they perceive as part of their equation of life. 
One of the things that I like to tell believers is that, you know, believe it or not, you are on a battlefield, and like you said, the devil is targeting you. You, you don't get an option to be targeted. If you are a believer, you are targeted, period. The only option that you have is to learn how to fight effectively or how to cope with the pain that you're dealing with from not fighting effectively. Um, and, and, and <laughs> Oh, man. One of the things we could get into in the next uh, section, if you want, well, I have a teaching. I call it the four types of suffering. You know, a lot of Christians get really confused on this subject of being a target because they think that all suffering comes from God as a means by which they are being refined. So they're broke, they're sick, everything in their life is falling apart, and they have no peace and no joy. And they think that that suffering is from God. In response to that suffering, there's also no fruit. They're on... Um, antipsychotic medications, they're drinking, they're in deep depression, and they're very unhappy. They drag everyone around them down into their own pit because they're so miserable. And they say, oh, though you slay me, Lord, yet will I serve you. Or some kind of you know, uh, response like that that sounds very religious. And what people uh, sometimes fail to understand is that not all suffering is actually coming from God and there's a whole lot of clarity that comes as you, a person begins to break down different sources of suffering in one's life. And once a person is able to identify the source of their specific suffering in any particular area, they can determine what is of God to birth character in them and what is of the devil that gets to get stopped in the name of Jesus. And I am in the habit, I am in the pattern of training Christians to stop the devil's attacks, to shut the devil down. As a matter of fact, this is what I say. I say that any kind of demon on assignment against me is going to loathe the day that they got that assignment against me. As a matter of fact, we're, we're taking this thing so far that, I, I mean, I don't even speak to the principalities when they manifest as if they have much power because, uh, well, you know what? When they stand up, to Jesus, the God that I serve, and me in his kingdom, um, they're going to lose. And, <laughs> oh man, here's a quick story. The other day I was in a deliverance session, and <laughs> the person I was ministering, and by the way, this was on a Skype call. Okay, so the uh, person uh, trying to get him set free of Aphrodite, right? Because she is still around, by the way. And she has her own realm in the spirit. And, uh, the person's trying to get through something I call principality prayer, which I have on my website, and, and I'm not going to break all of that down, how to get set free of the heavenly powers that are the, like fallen angels and stuff right now, unless you want me to. But we're moving through this prayer, and it gets to a point where Aphrodite's like, this is not happening. She takes the person and comes into the body, and full front on, Aphrodite's sitting in her body, talking through her mouth. And... Well, I hold that thought, Daniel. Oh. We're gonna get, we're gonna pick right up on this on the other side. And yes, I would love to get into the the four types of suffering. And I do have some some questions uh, pertaining to joy and uh, on our spiritual walk and how important that is. Uh, not only to be joyful in good times, but to be joyful when we're not doing good spiritually uh, and mentally. Um, and how important that joy is. Folks, you're listening to Daniel Duvall. His website's thefireplacechurch.org and bridemovement.com. We'll be at, back with Hour 3 right after this. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
Look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour of this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Tonight we are joined with uh, Dan- by Daniel Duvall. He is an author, a minister, radio show host, conference speaker, and so much more. He is in the Deliverance Ministries. He's been uh, helping people with uh, multiple personality disorder or uh, dissociative identity disorder, as it's known today, uh, soul, heart, and spiritual fragmentation, and... Um, We've covered a lot of ground in the first two hours. His two latest books that he was so generous to send us: one, uh, the Kingdom of or Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations, and the second one, his latest book, Higher Dimensions and Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm. And we're going to get into this book a little bit in this hour. Uh, before we do, we're going to uh, come back with Daniel and and talk about the four types of suffering. Uh, and you, you alluded to this at the, the end of the last hour, Daniel. Um, and I'm going to let you pick up. You were Before we get into the four types of suffering, you were talking about a Skype conversation you were having with uh, somebody that you were working with. And the uh, spirit or the entity of Aphrodite, uh, I mm-hmm. think I, okay, yes. entered so, into this person. So, so uh, let me just explain it like this, right? In the book of Jude... <clears throat> And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to pull it up here so I can just read it. Um, but in the book of Jude, it talks about the angels, which kept not the first state, but left their own habitation. They have been reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Well, there's two words used there. They, they, they left their estate and, and, and also their own habitation. One of those words is archi, another word is oiketerion. The word oiketerion in the, in the Greek is it, like a bodysuit. So left their mm-hmm. bodysuits. But the other word is archi, it, it means a principality. It's kind of like a jurisdiction. Well, not all of the fallen angels 
lost their jurisdiction. And many of them have jurisdictions in the heavens, in the second heaven, which essentially establishes the rights for them to be there. And um, some of them actually do this thing where they build them. I, I, and, and this one is, we're, we're just getting into this because we've been understanding realms more and more as we go deeper with this stuff. Uh, you know, it is actually possible to build realms through stolen, <sighs> they call it energies, but I, I haven't figured out what that really is. Anyway, um, Aphrodite has a realm. It's an archie. It's hers. And so she was essentially in the body. She pulled the person back. But she was in the body, interfacing with the body from her realm. And so she had in the spirit a document in her hand and all of her armies lined up to fight with me because she was like, <laughs> I'm not going to lose to Dan Duvall. <laughs> silly, silly. <laughs> oh, man. And so, you know, she got this document there. You got her armies and the person I'm working with in the spirit is actually behind her armies. So Aphrodite's at the front talking. And so I told Aphrodite, I said, Aphrodite, I'm going I'm to, I'm just going <laughs> to put it like this. You can leave or you can deal with me. But if you deal with me, it's going to go very badly for you. And you know that. And, and <laughs> she, she got an attitude. And she's like, are you kidding me? I'm not, and I'm like, shush, shush, shush. You have 10 seconds. I'll give you 10 seconds to make up your mind. Um, I'm just warning you. And, you know, <laughs> she had her whole army there. She's like, I have all my armies here. There's no way. You... And so I, I gave her a little countdown. I said, all right, time's up. And um, I, I engaged Aphrodite head on. Uh, the, the person wasn't even present to, you know, renounce this giant spirit with its own realm in the heavens and its own armies and legions of demons under their control. Um, we wiped them out probably in about a minute it took to kick that thing out. And um, it, was, it was a whooping because what happened was th this giant tsunami of living water. And I, I can talk to you about spiritual weapons in the living water later if you want me to. Because let me tell you something. Uh, we are armed to the teeth when it comes to the conversation of spiritual weapons. One of them is, is this concept called living water. So this giant tsunami of living water materialized in the spirit realm in accordance with my words, because I'm speaking. And the, 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 the tsunami of living water comes over her armies and her, and her realm and wipes them all out in the spirit. And the document that she was holding that were her so-called rights to the person I'm working with she lost it. It came out of her hand in the spirit. And so he took it and burned it up in the name of Jesus. And the, the person I'm working with was suddenly back at the front in their body looking at me at the sky. And they had seen everything that occurred in the spirit realm because this actually was an event that occurred just not in 3D world. So we have a book called Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm. We could talk about this stuff all day long. She comes forward. She's like, Shocked. Mouth open. How did you do that? I've never seen anything like it. You did not see the size of her army, Daniel. 
I'm like laughing. I didn't need to. <laughs> she didn't see the size of my tsunami <laughs> coming. But, you know, th- this is the power that Christians have. I mean, I mean oh man, Joe, if, if I could just take a minute and, and, I mean, I could take it to the next hour, really, and just talk about all the exploits that we have done in the Spirit. Did you know that in Daniel chapter 11, it says, um, those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Mm-hmm. There's not a single power in the heavens that intimidates me. And I've dealt with Lucifer directly. And I, I, I say that very confidently because I probably, I, I mean, I was dealing with him earlier today, you know? And, I mean, <laughs> we we don't just um, minister deliverance. We, we don't just attack, uh, you know, principalities. Um, we destroy their realms at this point. I do it all the time. And so there's a lot of power in Jesus' name. Because it's the power of Jesus that's let me do all this. And understanding of the mechanics of the spirit realm and also spiritual authority and mantle that I've received as I've walked out in obedience the, the, the path that God has ordained for me and received the office of me as I was ordained before the throne of God in heaven to do what I do today. Um, I'm not saying try this at home. Don't try what I say at home, um, Christians, unless you've been ordained to it by God himself before his throne, which I have. And so... Uh, but but there's power there. Like this is this is we're talking about kingdom. We're talking about victory. Uh, some some of the operational parameters will come back to just understanding. You know some of the basics. Because yeah, you know that that's a cool story, Daniel. But what about my life and where I'm at and all the suffering I'm going through? And it, I um I talk about four types of suffering that that is really really essential for people to understand. Because if you think that what you're going through is what God wants for you, you will never have the faith to stand up and command it to stop in Jesus' name. You will never exercise your right to use the weapons of your warfare against those things coming against your life because you won't believe that you have the right to do so. Now I have a um, uh, you know, an eight-week course called Spiritual Warfare. And this last one, we've had the largest class ever. Um, I assume going into the future, this thing just has to grow. And you know what? The material has to be taught. During week one, I teach the four types of suffering. So to break the power of confusion, Joe, and, and this is the thing, right? You, you have Christians that go around believing that everything that's happening to them is the will of God. But the Bible says it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. It takes one second to ask yourself the question, does everybody that is born get saved? To realize that the answer is no. To realize that if that's the will of God and not everyone gets saved, the will of God is not always being done. And it is not the will of God for Christians to suffer the way they are suffering in many cases, Joe. But... This is what you have to do. Because you can't pray the suffering out of your life that God is putting in there to mature you, but you certainly can. How do you draw the lines? So here's where it begins. There are two categories of suffering with two subdivisions. The two categories of suffering are avoidable suffering and unavoidable suffering. And within those categories, there are two subcategories. So, in the unavoidable suffering category, you have what is known as A, the refiner's fire, and B, abuse and inescapable evil. 
And God has different ways of addressing these types of suffering. They do not happen within the same conversation. Because some people, they get abused, right? We go back to the child that's shattered and traumatized because they are abused physically, emotionally, sexually, doesn't matter. And they say, oh, I just read 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. God really hates my guts. Because what does 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 say? It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And they say, yeah, trials like my emotional abuse, trials like my sexual abuse, trials like my physical abuse. Uh-huh, yeah, what else do you have to say, good God? And then they keep reading. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And was, then they take their Bible and they throw it at the wall. They're like, you, you want me to praise you, God, because you let physical abuse and emotional abuse and sexual abuse enter my life? Do you really think that proved me as gold? Do you really think that brings you praise, honor, and glory? If you do, you're a sick God. This is where people live, Joe. And then they go to church mm -hmm. and have it pushed down their throat because the will of God is always done in some versions of this thing. It's not true, though. There, see, that's why I have to break for many people the power of confusion. Not all conversation on suffering occurs in the same context. So in Revelation 3.18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you're... Uh, you can cover your nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. See, there is a thing, there is a price that we pay, there is a suffering that we go through that yields character. It yields righteous living. It yields fruit in our lives that shows genuineness of God's um, influence. It actually does prove genuineness of our faith. But it's not the same. How do you know whether you are in the refiner's fire or some other kind of suffering? The answer is, what kind of fruit came of that suffering? And practically speaking, what really happened? I was sexually, physically, and emotionally abused. That's not the refiner's fire. That's is abuse and inescapable evil. That's category B. God has a different conversation on that one. So what God does as we approach God, He will challenge us to make us the best version of ourselves we can be because He wants us to be fully manifested as His children. He loves us, plain and simple. If you see a child and he's doing something bad, like punching his brother, you stop him, you spank him, you say, I love you, but you can't do that anymore. And they learn, I won't do that destructive thing. And God, he has to teach us not to do destructive things. He will take us through seasons of purging to get it that character into us, to build it. But that's a separate conversation. So we have one, right? That's unavoidable. If we're Christian, mm -hmm. God's going to put us through the refiner's fire. But then 
The Bible says in Isaiah 63, 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and bore them and carried them through all the days of old. The Bible also says of Jesus that we do not have a high priest which cannot identify with us in our weaknesses for he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. See, there is an identification, a deep seated identification with what we go through that God has. See, many people think that when they are going through things like abuse, God abandons them. God has his arms folded and he's scowling at them and saying, I can't stand you. I'm just glad you're getting what you deserved. I created you to be a speck of dirt under the devil's feet. Don't you know that I strike you down because I want you to be in a situation you're in because my will is always done. You know, and you get this like faulty view of God. When the Bible is actually saying something very different, it's saying that in their affliction he was afflicted. God once told me this, Joe. He said, I have experienced and identified every element of pain and affliction that has ever manifested past, present, and future. It's, there's nothing that God does not identify with. Um, and that is a reflection of the depths of his love which are incomprehensible. So the Bible says in Matthew 25, um, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Now I use this passage to talk about sheep nations in a prophetic context, but really there's an application here to abuse and inescapable evil. It says, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or, clothe, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. So when people bless those that are members of the body of Christ, they bless God. The Bible says, he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. God says, what you do to my people, you do to me. So the devil knows that when he abuses and destroys people, he's actually attacking God himself through a back door. So never thought of it like that. Oh, well, you wouldn't. Not until God... I mean, this is amazing. It's an amazing revelation. So suddenly God shifts... From this judgmental arms folded, I hate your guts and I put you in that situation to watch you suffer to a, no way, you identify with everything I'm going through. You actually go through my afflictions with me so that when I have the opportunity to turn to you, you can heal me from them and walk me through my healing journey because you're not a stranger to my experience. Not only that... When I was hurt, you were hurt. The Bible says God collects our tears in bottles, Joe. There's a mm -hmm. reason why he does that. It's a memorial and a testimony before him to the suffering the people has been through. Why? Because he cares. So, because God knows that he puts certain situations and mechanics in place called free will. If man chooses to do something, they can do it. If I walk over to somebody, my next door neighbor, and I punch him in the face, I can choose to do that. Will there be consequences? Yes, but I made a choice. 
And since God is not going to break his own rules, there is a certain amount of evil that is going to manifest because man is broken. And so God goes through the afflictions with us so that he can redeem us from them with a full identification of what we have been through. It's a different conversation, though. It's not the refiner's fire. And that's what people need to understand. But you see, Joe, we're only on one category. Because there's another category, and I call it avoidable suffering. So there's a, a category of unavoidable suffering with the refiner's fire and abuse and inescapable evil as two separate subcategories and two separate conversations. But on the avoidable suffering side of the equation, you also have two categories. They are the devil's illegal attacks and our own poor decision-making. And Joe, uh -huh. let me tell you something. The Bible says in John 10, 9 through 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And Joe, this is the reality of the situation that's going on here. The devil will come to steal, to kill. and to See, some people think the devil is God's employee. The devil has been employed by God to destroy their life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That Jesus is actually creating a distinction between what he's doing and what the devil's doing. He's saying, the devil's doing that, but I'm doing this. We are not friends. I'm not paying him to do that. God is against the devil. That's God's enemy. And so what God says, is, let me just explain it to you so you don't get confused. The devil will try to steal your stuff. He'll steal your kids. He'll steal your joy. He'll steal your bank account. He'll steal your love life. He'll steal your relationships. He'll steal anything that he can get his hands on. He'll kill you. He'll kill your dreams. He'll kill your kids. He'll kill your... Some people think that man's days are numbered from birth and that man will always live exactly the amount of time he's supposed to live because what happens is always the perfect will of God. Again, we threw that out when we realized that it's not the will of God that any should perish, but have all should come to everlasting life. Explain to me how all the abortions that are going on in this country, the power forces of darkness, actually fall under the category of God's will. I'll show you someone that's really thinking knucklehead thoughts, brother. Let me tell you, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the devil will destroy ministries. He will destroy movements. He will destroy... If he is not checked. And that's why we have to understand that when suffering begins to come in, we have to discern, okay, first of all, what's the fruit of what's coming at my life? Am I growing from this? Or is this causing me to slip into the pit? Once we identify the fruit, we identify the source. God said you will know them by the fruit. So, the devil illegal attacks will come. He will steal. He will kill. He will destroy. These are all under his purview. He can do that. And so Jesus said, I've come for a different reason, that you would have life and that you would have life more abundantly. So Jesus came to connect man to the power, authority, realm of 
God. So that through man, God could confront the devil and shut him down. This is why spiritual warfare exists, Joe, to confront, to stand down, and to shut down the devil. And it doesn't matter where he is, whether he's in your house, or your neighborhood, or in the realms of the heavens. God can shut him down on any and every level because his throne is exalted above all. And the only uh, limitations on how much shutting down God can do of the devil in many cases is one, the prophetic context of his word because there are certain things that will just be. And two, how much cooperation he can get from you and me. Because when it comes to your house, Joe, he needs your, he needs your cooperation. When it comes to my house, he needs my cooperation. That is where the conversation begins. And if we don't understand that the devil needs to be confronted, he needs to be checked, and he's supposed to be, we lay down for him. And that's exactly where the devil wants the church. Because when we stand up in faith, we do things like talk to principalities like they're children. I mean, once we graduate to that level of authority, let me tell you, it is possible because I do do it. And I see the, you know, the fruit is in my own ministry. So I'm not, I'm not inventing philosophies here. I'm just saying this is how it is. Uh, God disarmed principalities and powers, triumphing over them, making an open show of them in it. There is a way to tap into that. There is a way to tap into that. <clears throat> the last time I was on your program, we were talking about miracles, implants coming out of people's bodies and, you know, radical stuff like that. Um, I've seen fibromyalgia and all kinds of other stuff healed in this ministry. I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of conversation to have. You know, God's not done yet. There is supreme power. There is, and, 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 and as you're releasing power, you have to realize that you are confronting a devil that has inflicted things upon people that he shouldn't be able to inflict upon them. It's just that no one stood up to check him on it. Christians have been preached into subjection to the power of the devil. And Absolutely. it's like, all right, yeah, it's time to change the way the game is played. Then there's our own poor decision-making. The Bible says in James 1, 6-7, through 7, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I'll tell you, Joe, there are people that are very double-minded. Um, there are people that just can't ever get on board with God's way of doing things. You see, uh, the devil didn't make you necessarily have, you know, five babies, mamas, and not have a job and not take care of anything that you're supposed to be taking care of in your life. Sometimes people just make really bad decisions and then they suffer because there are things coming at them in their lives that they created themselves. And they want to just blame the devil. Or they want to blame someone else. Or they want to blame their parents. They want to blame all kinds of things on everyone else. And it's like, wait a minute. There is an element of the avoidable suffering conversation that requires an acknowledgement of personal responsibility. The Bible says that God can turn all things to the good of those that love Him and are the called according to His purpose. God can redeem any kind of situation. But sometimes we go through suffering because we create situations because we're knuckleheads. And so when we... That's my experience. At, uh, <laughs> I mean, it is, you know. Uh, all the, the things that I put myself through, uh, the Lord has turned for good, but 
it was my decisions to do those things that landed me in those those hot seats and those uh in that jail cell and and you know um that was my own doing but the lord turned it for his his purpose amen amen so uh, joe w- what i'm saying here is that when we begin to understand that suffering is not a straightforward conversation, we create room for a conversation on the reason why spiritual warfare is not only necessary, it's a requirement of Christians. You know, it was a great man that said, uh, evil prevails when great men or um, good men do nothing. There's a lot of truth to that. But it's not just about doing something. (laughs) It's about connecting to a supernatural God with a supernatural realm with supernatural resources according to an inheritance we have received in Christ Jesus to take a supernatural battle plan against a supernatural enemy and that's in our purview now and realistically you know you're talking to someone who does this every day I literally sit on the phone with people all week long and challenge the principality of the heavens challenge their realms challenge their timelines challenge their technologies um, that, that's my job description and I see the power of God every day um, there's, there's, there's so many testimonies that I have that I could never even share uh, publicly yet just because they're so far off the charts uh, it, it is just, you don't even have words for it but it's there you know we're walking in it and then as this thing unpacks into the future people are going to see oh wow God you know with transhumanism coming with uh, you know rumors of planet X with all kinds of technologies, new world order agendas, um, portals opening, we can get into portals and, you know, uh, you know, with the conversation around CERN and everything, but you, you know, like, there's like all this evil's coming on the earth, uh, government projects that we don't know about. Where's God? Where, where, where's the power of God for this? Where's the hope? <laughs> and it's like, well, let's get into this, Daniel. <clears throat> oh, in your, your book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spiritual Realm, um, this is a good place, and we only got about 25 minutes left. But let's get into this book because you just mentioned CERN. A lot of people wonder what that is, what uh, capabilities they have, not only in our physical world, but what are they doing in the spiritual world? And you know, the portal aspect of it is um, something that that people have been saying that it is a portal uh, to channel demonic energies in, or you know, from that to um, even changing the matter around us and thinning the veil, allowing these things not only to be seen in CERN, but uh, having effects all throughout the world. I guess we'll start here. Uh, you know, the subject of higher dimensions, is it biblical? Oh, absolutely, Joe. And here's the thing. Um, in my book, <clears throat> I introduce higher dimensions um, in, in a number of ways. I actually introduced it, then I reintroduced it, and then I introduced it again. And well, first of all, a dimension is nothing more than an extension in a given direction. That's it. That's all it is. That's a dimension. An extension in a given direction. Length is a dimension. When I add length to length, it becomes width. I can create a second dimension. It 
creates a plane. A piece of paper is a representation of a two-dimensional plane. What is a dimension? It's just an extension in a given direction. The idea that the word dimension is anti-biblical is just nonsense. It's just a word that describes an extension in a given direction. That's all it is. So you, okay. you have an extension. You, you have different types of dimensions. You have uh, um, <clears throat> spatial dimensions and temporal dimensions. A temporal dimension is time. Time's a dimension. It's an extension in a given direction that measures space between events. And then you have dimensions of space. And there's extensions in a given direction. So that's all there is. So, you know, you have a one-dimensional unit, which is a line. You have a two-dimensional uh, plane, which is like a piece of paper or any other kind of thing. It, it, three dimensions is when you add height to length to width. That's a box. Mm -hmm. That's the world we live in. Everything around us. Three dimensions. So the conversation on dimensions is very just scientific. I mean, it, it's, it's just saying this is the way reality manifests. You have different kinds of planes. So you say, okay, well, then we'll, we'll just base our understanding of things on the world that we see. Dimensions can't be a biblical concept. Oh, really? Well, the Bible just happens to say in Ephesians chapter 3, I bow my knee to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would... Grant us according to the exceeding riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, love, the most central message of the whole Bible, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend what is the width, the length, the depth, the height. Wait a minute. The width, the length, the depth, the height. Width, dimension, one. Length, dimension, two. Height, dimension, three. Breadth, dimension. There are four dimensions that are spatial. Right there in the Bible. Joe, can you tell me that a description of the love of God as being four-dimensional is anti-biblical? Come on, man. So when people get on this subject of, oh, yeah, dimensions, that's so anti-biblical. I mean, it's like, well, no, let's just read the Bible for a minute here. Um... And, and so, you know, when you look about mathematically, scientifically, when you add a fourth dimension, you're simply adding an extension in a given direction that goes 90 degrees perpendicular to all pre-existing dimensions. In um, mathematics, they often picture this as a, a, a W axis on a graph, and it yields something called hyperspaces. Well, <clears throat> in the Bible, coming back to, um, you know, like, well, where do we see this actually playing out in, in, in the Bible, in the Word of God? In the book of Acts, there's this event where they, they're told, you know, go and wait in the upper room until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so they go and they wait and they pray, they tarry there. And on the day of Pentecost, which is the day the church is born, these tongues of fire walk into the room. There's a gust of wind and then tongues of fire. They walk in. Now, Here's the thing. <clears throat> there are both natural things and there are supernatural things. The natural things are things that occur according to the mechanics of the 3D world in which we live. Supernatural things are things that occur but do not occur according to the mechanics of the 3D world in which we live. Okay. So you have natural and you have supernatural. <clears throat> so the gust of wind was actually a natural thing. A gust of wind can blow anytime anywhere. But when the source of the wind was revealed, the event became supernatural. 
the tongues of fire were the source of the gust of wind. When they walk in, they sit upon the heads of all of the disciples. They begin to speak in other tongues. Well, where did those tongues of fire come from? Did they come from Dan's frying pan? <laughs> Dan's oven? A bad joke? I mean, come on. They came from another place. See, whatever manifests must exist somewhere, even if its origin point of manifestation is not the place that it has manifested to. See, the tongues of fire existed in heaven. <laughs> but they entered into earth from a higher dimensional plane in accordance with the will of God. They created a gust of wind when they entered and then they performed you know, the, the purposes of God. All of the disciples in the upper room began to speak in other tongues. So what we see right there, the church could not have been birthed during that event if there were not a presence of other realms from which those tongues of fire manifested. So is the conversation on higher dimensions biblical? 100%. You can't even explain what's going on in the Bible without it. And so we could go through the Bible and begin to see how the higher dimensions are influencing everything that is occurring on earth from the beginning to the end. So, yeah, that's really where the conversation begins, Joe. Okay. And, um, I mean, there's a lot here to cover, and we only have 18 minutes left. Um, how about this, if we can? I don't know if this is going to be easy easy for you to, you to do. Can we discuss the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind? <laughs> well, what, well, we, we kind I, of already I should did. just turn it over to you and... and, and you know, um, with the last 18 minutes we have. Okay. And let well, you cover what you think, what you think we need to cover while we, with the time we have left. And we're obviously going to have to have you back on because with these two books here, there's so much in here. Uh, and folks, again, Kingdom Government, The Promise of Sheep Nations. Uh, this is the second to latest book. The latest book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions and the Spirit Realm. Go to bridemovement.com and or the fireplacechurch.org you can get Daniel's books there uh, and we're obviously like I said going to have to have you back on I, I know there's so much to say in so little time Joe we, I mean we only have three hours how are we going to get through this I <laughs> 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 think we're on like point two and a half of, of 20 we wanted to cover anyway um, okay so as, I, as, I, as I'm saying Dimensions are absolutely biblical. They show up all over the Bible. You don't even have the birth of the church in the book of Acts without the influence of higher dimensions. When you understand that the word dimensions definitionally simply means an extension in a given direction, all you are looking at is a mathematical explanation of what we are observing. When we move past three dimensions, we do enter hyperspaces, and that can be like what you would call like tesseract or any other kind of shape that it's 
it, it, it has more than three dimensions to it. And you can model these. There's nothing evil about a model of a tesseract. When we begin to understand that uh, things can manifest from higher realms, then we begin to understand why the spirit realm is a relevant conversation, not only for Christians, but for you know occultists and people that deal with metaphysics and stuff like that. Um, and so the, the, the real problem that people have with the conversation on at the spirit world is that the church has not been taught, Joe, to engage the spirit world biblically. They've heard how the New Agers, how the occultists have defined terminology and language to explain how they engage the spirit realm, and they've only heard their side of the story. So, anytime this conversation comes up for certain people, it's major red flags. It's, mm -hmm. oh, the only input I've ever heard about that has come from these groups, therefore it must be bad. And we've seen in the past, you know, from uh, Lucius Trust and, and Alice Bailey and Blavatsky's writings that they will incorporate uh, biblical terms like, you know, Messiah, Christ, um, dimensions, the, the changing of the age, um, and they will turn it and use it in their perspective of their satanic writings. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have an application in the Bible uh, where it originated. Right. So, um, you know, you, you you take I don't know something like CERN, and I'm not nearly as read up on CERN as some of the other wonderful guests that you have on this program, and so I, I'm not going to say that I'm any kind of authority on you know how how people can learn more about what's actually going on there. But they're doing experiments, you know, and they've tried to you know open black holes and portals. Like they're they're looking at this kind of uh, um, science it's like can we create it can we contain it can we do these things uh, okay when you look at the story of the Tower of Babel you see this conversation occurring we want to build a tower to heaven mm -hmm. and this agenda was really wicked in the eyes of the Lord because the Lord came down and said let us see what man is doing and um, if we let them continue with their agenda if we let them accomplish this uh, then nothing will be withheld from them so then God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel and they all gave up and went their own ways it got shut down and some people think well that's just a tall tower I think that doesn't make much sense because God didn't stop the Willis Tower over in Chicago and what happens when you get to the top floor just don't look out the window, you might get kind of woozy. But realistically, it just goes really high. It, it, it's not, you know, just this height conversation that, that we're having here. As a matter of fact, if you look at the pseudepigraphal book of Jasher, it details in greater depth what's actually going on behind this conversation. The, the, the men, they want to build a tower that will allow them to bridge into the dimension of God, and they want to make war with God. 
And that becomes the only logical explanation for why God does what he does in the Bible. I mean, and, and this was being built, the Tower of Babel, under the directions and rule of Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter against God. He, he was a tyrant. I mean, he was the uh, original Antichrist type in shadow, Nimrod. And so, you see, the whole agenda that's absolutely against God wants to raid God's realm oh, because Satan wants to take God's throne. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants God's throne. And he wants to piggyback man in an agenda to sack God's throne. He wants to piggyback yeah. and he has several ways of trying to do this. He wants to make situations happen and occur so that God's word fails at any point. If, because he knows that if he can make God's word fail, God, by his own, you know, um, honor, would have to abdicate his own throne if his own word failed. So, you know, it's like he tries every kind of backdoor he can to dethrone God. One of these was trying to get men to build this tower to heaven. What is it going to do? Realistically, that tower is designed across dimensions. So when you're looking at something like CERN, you're looking at people trying to um, bridge and pierce dimensions. But you don't need a giant machine to do that. Um, but Because I'll tell you what, in the rituals... High-level rituals, they do this all the time. As a matter of fact, I was uh, told by someone in the Illuminati, like when they do certain rituals with their incantations, blood sacrifice, ritual torture, and everything else like that, um, and then they have their high-power psychics there, they, they are able to open portals, which look like spheres. They actually look like balls of light. They like explode, and, and, and then they just you know, like orbit there in, a, in the midst of their ceremony, and they can bring in entities from other dimensions. So, so it, it's not like it's necessary technologically to do this with technology. Like They, they can do it spiritually. But um, the, the conversation comes back to this idea that you know what? We have a world which is a battlefield because Earth is essentially going to be the battlefield for the destiny of the heavens. And so the devil is trying to bring in as much as he can into earth realm. He, he wants to bring his whole kingdom here. <laughs> and God has another agenda counter to that, and it's that he wants to bring his kingdom in here. At Revelation 11.15, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the Bible says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. So God wants to bring his kingdom in. The devil wants to bring his kingdom in. One of the ways they bring in elements of their kingdom from other, because they exist as and in other realms, is through portals. And, and so when you look at something like CERN, they're trying to make scientific processes around the opening of these things. Um, which is why I think it's very scary. And so, uh, but this, this, I mean, you, I think the conversation is absolutely founded in uh, just conceptualizing what we actually see occurring in the Bible. And you know, the most amazing thing, uh, Joe, is that th this idea, because we, we, we could go on the subject of portals forever. And I have three chapters in my book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and the Spirit Realm, on this subject. But when we look at what God designed a church to be, God calls two things his temple. He calls the church corporately his temple in one passage. And in another passage, he calls believers individually his mm -hmm. temple. 
Now, when you look at what the tent of meeting was for in the wilderness, it was where God met. God spoke to Moses face to face. You know, um, God met man in that place. It was uh, it was designed to be God's doorway, because that's what a portal is. A portal is simply a doorway, a gate, an entrance as to a castle or some kind of edifice. That's what the word portal means. It's a gateway, door. God designed the the a, a temple to be his door. When they finally built the first temple under Solomon in First Kings chapter eight, what happens? is that the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, comes in to that temple in such a powerful way that it says the cloud pushed the priests out so they could not even minister in the temple. So the temple was designed to be the interface point between heaven and earth. The interface point between temple, the heaven and earth. That's what the temple was. So where does this go? Well, the temple in the Old Testament, the first temple and, you know, tent of meeting, unfortunately, by the time they built Herod's temple later on when Jesus was around, uh, there were some other things going on. But, you know, the, the initial purpose was to be the interface point between heaven and earth. And what God said is that my church corporately and my believers individually are now my temple. What that means is that I have made it in the new covenant such that man, my people, become my interface point between heaven and earth. If the temple was designed to function as God's portal into the earth, Now, the only logical conclusion is that we as believers are intended to be God's portal into the earth. Just, and just for the listeners of your program, um, you know, just take a moment to sit on that for a minute. God designed you to be his interface point into the earth. It makes the message of being salt and light in this world come to a whole new level. It makes the message of acceptance come to a whole new level. It's, see, God didn't just design you to be a, you know, this is a, a term, I don't mean to insult anyone that has red hair, but a redheaded stepchild in his kingdom that he doesn't like. He designed you to be his interface point from heaven to earth. That is the degree of identity, identification with Christ and power that the church should walk in, not only as individuals, but corporately. We can, according to the Bible, come together and be God's interface point between heaven and earth. This is the message the devil is scared to death of because he's trying to work his portals and pierce this realm with all of his junk. But what happens when God's realm pierces this world with his abundance, with his armies, with his love, with his glory? Satan is destroyed. I'm telling you what, man, Joe. 
the church hasn't known what we have. No, but they're longing for it. That remnant out there who are leaving churches due to the disappointment of uh, the pastors and their messages and not what they cover, but how they cover it and what they don't cover. That people are going on their own. They feel lost inside their family. They feel lost inside their congregation. And they're seeking the word diligently, studying to show themselves approved and, and in prayer. And they're facing the, the opposition of the evil. And they are feeling uh, not defeated, but definitely oppressed. Mm. Mm-mm. And and the fellowship uh, aspect is what needs to be picked up. And, you know, us as, as believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are so busy, you know, and preoccupied with being oppressed and, and uh, going through lives and, and just the regular struggles of, of trying to maintain a household, let alone uh, the spiritual household. And, you know, going from that, the charity and helping of others. It's so hard to maintain uh, just our own household, spiritual mm-hmm. and otherwise. That we, you know, and, and then you have the people who are so afflicted that they're almost paralyzed, like you said. The devil has them laying down just where he wants them. Mm-mm. And then we only have, you know, two and a half minutes left. And <laughs> it's, uh, well, I don't want to leave on a bad note, but, you know, we know that, that the, uh, the end from the beginning has been declared. Joe, if I, if I could just leave your audience with this thought. Yes. I'm going to come back to a concept I, I shared earlier. The heart. I said the primary real estate of the spirit realm is the hearts of men. And God has a Holy Spirit who will write upon the fleshy tables of the heart. See, I see God wanting to infect his people with a belief system that connects them to the fullness of his realm, which exists in higher dimensions, so that he can portal all that he has through us and into this world. We're supposed to be pass-throughs. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My gosh. Folks, what we have in Christ Jesus goes so far beyond the power of the enemy. And none of that changes, no matter what season we're in, because the promises of God don't change. <laughs> and it says, hey, listen to this. Through great and precious promises, we are become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption which is in the world through lust. Amen. Folks, visit Daniel Duvall's websites, bridemovement.com, thefireplacechurch.org. Read some of his work. Send him an email. Let him know what you think about tonight's show. We're definitely going to have him back on soon. Daniel, thank you so much for all the time you spent tonight and the wonderful messages you imparted. God bless you, sir. Bless you, Joe. Until next time, stay safe. God bless. We'll be back tomorrow night.